Kriyavi! It's I who repudiate you. And in the name of Satan, I place a curse upon you. Go ahead. Tie me down to the stake. But you will never escape my hunger, nor that of Satan! Welcome to the Director's Club Podcast. I am Patrick Rapole, and welcome back to the Big Horror Show. Now, for those of you who weren't here last year, um, last year I asked listeners to send in their top ten favorite horror movies um, to be read and discussed on a uh, bonus episode about horror. Um, but the, the 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 catch was, uh, I didn't want any. I didn't want to bother talking about Dawn of the Dead again, basically. I didn't want to have to talk about why Halloween is great again. So I had a list of 20 films that were banned um, that you could not put on the list. And those films were The Exorcist, The Thing by John Carpenter, Alien, Dawn of the Dead by George Romero, Halloween by John Carpenter, Night of the Living Dead by George Romero, The Shining, Psycho by Alfred Hitchcock, and Alfred, American Werewolf in London – the Texas Chainsaw Massacre by Toby Hooper, Carrie by Brian De Palma, Jaws, Frankenstein by James Whale, Nosferatu by F.W. Murnau, Scream by Wes Craven, Evil Dead by Sam Raimi, Evil Dead 2 also by Sam Raimi, The Fly by David Cronenberg, Rosemary's Baby by Roman Polanski, and Silence of the Lambs. And those films you could not put on your list. I don't care if that's your 20 favorite horror films. You, you couldn't put them on the list. And then what we got back was 160 different uh, movies sent by uh, several different people that just were all over the place. Um, there was uh, Amityville Horror 2, and there was uh, Cat People. So, or no, there wasn't Cat People. There was It was Amityville Horror 2, and there was um, uh, Black Sunday, is what I meant to say. Uh, Cat People's this year. Uh, spoiler alert. So, Weez thought, uh, that was fun. It was a popular episode. People enjoyed it. How do we do that again? And what we figured is, well... If last time those 20 horror films were banned, you couldn't use those. Uh, this time you send in your lists, and not only are those 20 films banned, um, and not only uh, – at the end of that episode, Gabe gave 10 more episodes uh, – he, he named 10 more films that he didn't think would get named, but were still good. And those are also banned. Um, you also couldn't vote for anything that got voted on last year. So there was a total of 190 movies that were just totally off-limits. And the the idea behind this, I, I I guess what I was thinking was that um, the more you take off the table, the deeper people have to dig. And then you start seeing what people really are like. You know, we all like to say that we all love the thing in Dawn of the Dead and The Shining. But when you really get down to it, I want to I want to I wanted someone to, like, send in Leprechaun 3. <laughs> I wanted someone to make an argument for Leprechaun 3. Like, no, actually, it's a good horror comedy and it's a great setting for the Leprechaun movie. Like, I, I wanted people to really dig in and kind of get into their dirty little secrets. And um, so we opened up the polls again this year, um, not only to Directors Club listeners, but to anyone who follows me on Letterboxd. And we got nearly twice as many movies as a response, um, nearly twice as many lists sent to us. And partially, there are some of those kinds of movies that you can tell us just sort of a personal favorite for someone. But also sort of 
we got a lot of uh we got a lot of films that kind of stretched the definition of horror. People got kind of creative. Um they if they couldn't think of ten movies that they genuinely loved uh that that were horror movies, I, I find or I assume at least they sort of stretch the definition and go, well, th- I love this movie, and this could be seen as a horror movie. So um, th- there's going to be some movies on this list that are kind of kind of on the borderline, kind of maybe not in the spirit of the, of the thing, but you know, we we're not gonna we're not gonna stress over genre definitions. Um, um, and when I say we, of course, I can't do this alone. Uh, you people are maniacs, and I can't. I haven't seen half of these movies, but you know who has seen more than half of these movies is Gabe Powers. Uh, Gabe, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, welcome back to the Directors Club. After your, it's been so long since you were on. So long. It's it's. Uh, it... I slept twice, <laughs> and that's because you took a nap. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of a, a not so hidden secret that. That you are kind of uh, our October crutch. <laughs> we, we 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 don't know shit about shit. Uh, me and Jim. So when it comes to wanting to do like special uh, Halloween flavored uh, episodes for October, uh, we kind of just have to lean on you. Oh, thank you know it's good to have skills. Yeah. <laughs> so we're gonna do this episode the same as we did last year. Um, we are gonna go chronologically. This is part one of the episode because last year we got 160 uh, movies. This year we got 313. So it would be a it'd be like a four and a half hour episode if we try to do it all at once. So in part one, these are all of the films that only got one vote. Um, these are kind of the the redheaded stepchildren of this list. <laughs> the the films that aren't necessarily uh, these these are the personal favorites. Um, I, w- I would say. And also a lot of films that kind of stretch the definition of horror ended up in here, too. Um, there's a handful of films that neither me or Gabe have seen, and we'll give a brief description, but we won't be able to really comment on them beyond that. Um, but, Gabe, you watched, like, what, 15 movies? I think 15 or 16 just for this. Just for, just for this to prepare for this episode. Yeah. Um, which is uh, <laughs> which is above and beyond. Um <laughs> I, I certainly didn't watch 15, but uh, I, I watched a few as well. Um, mo- um, almost all of the movies that neither of us have seen are in this first part. Uh, only got one vote. There are two films that got two votes that neither of us have seen. And then the rest of them, we one of us has seen them at least. So, um, yeah, we'll just be skipping over those kinds of movies. And we're going to do it chronologically. Um, starting in 1928, and we're going to work our way all the way up to 2015. And let's just go. At- oh, I'm sorry. I uh, I have to do an announcement. Uh, the uh, my corporate <laughs> overlords have informed me I must read these words. Uh, Jim now now set on being some kind of uh, king of all media is opening a podcasting network, and he he wants people. Uh, to review the podcast, basically it, it helps us. And that is, that is actually the only way really people find this podcast is because it pops up as a suggestion on iTunes because, and the only way it pops up as a suggestion on iTunes, if it gets recent reviews. So basically the, here's the idea. If you, if you like the show, if you don't like the show, if you just have thoughts about the show, um, if you leave a review on iTunes, um, 
and then email Jim at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. Um, you, we'll put you in uh, a, a drawing and someone will be drawn out of that list of names and they'll win a $25 Amazon gift card. So uh, you just got to go over to iTunes and uh, leave a review and then make sure to email Jim uh, at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com and say, hey, I left this review. Um, this is my username or whatever you got to do. And then uh, then you'll be entered in and to win, which is uh, nice because uh, the winner will be announced mid-December. So you can use it for Christmas shopping, all that kind of stuff. Um, also, uh, directors cl- uh, the, the network, I guess, is uh, now accepting donations. Uh, so there's a they have a website, popcultureclub.net. Um, there's a link there for records slash donate. And uh, basically, if you want to donate to us, you can go to the band camp that has uh, our record label, or Jim's record label, I should say. And um, you can get any of those albums you want and then pay what you want, um, basically. And those albums, they're also available for free if you'd like. But, you know, if you're looking for a way to contribute to keep up server costs and stuff like that, that's a good way to do it. So you go to popcultureclub.net, you go to record slash donate link, and all this stuff is right there. Um, and that's it. That's that's all the that's all the whoring I'm going to do because I don't need this. <laughs> I don't need this in my life. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, you know, uh, Jim's a great guy, and uh, you throw a couple bucks his way, uh, you're uh, you're doing a nice thing. So, uh, but we should start. So we're going to go ahead and start uh, in 1928. Uh, with Fall of the House of Usher. Now, there were two 1928 films that were Fall of the House of Usher. This is the French one. That's a, It's almost feature length. It's about an hour long. Um, it's a really gorgeous, amazing looking movie. It kind of, like, it's kind of half Smashing Pumpkins music video. Like, obviously, you know, the the aesthetic is, <laughs> it came before the Smashing Pumpkins. But, like, that's sort of the thing <laughs> it calls to mind. Um, very uh, impressionistic, expressionistic, very, very liberal an, uh, adaptation the uh, the American adaptation from 1928 is also quite good, but that's like a short film, and that's even stranger and follows it uh, less. Um, there, the next we're leaving the 20s. We're into 1931. Uh, Todd Browning's Dracula. Now, do you like do you like Dracula, Gabe? I like Dracula. Okay, it's not my favorite of the series. Uh, I I think a lot of it's just Lugosi's really good. Yeah. There, there's a couple really good shots. Uh, there's an early on shot where you see him and all of his, uh, I guess, like sort of wicked virgins or wicked Dracula or <laughs> wicked vampire women kind of raising up from their graves. Yeah. Uh, like that that shot to me is totally amazing and among the best things in any of those old universal horror movies. But it's 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 based on a stage play and it definitely feels like it's based on a stage play. Yeah. Um, the uh, I will say that uh, it. It's it's sort of become a common – it's sort of become accepted knowledge that the Spanish language version of Dracula is better. But I don't think it necessarily is. The camera is definitely more interesting. Like I think it's it's better – it's it's more well shot. But um, I think it loses something in the performances because the performances are much hammier. Yeah, if you could somehow get Lugosi into the Spanish one, yeah, I think it would be my favorite. That would be it. But yeah – um, so that's it for the 30s. We're leaving and we're going into The Wolfman, another uh, universal horror film. Honestly, of the core, like, franchise-starting universal horror films, this is probably my least favorite. I Yeah, I'm there with you. It's it's my least favorite good universal horror classic. Yeah. It's still good. Yeah, but... it is good. I, I, 
the it has so much atmosphere. There's just so much fucking fog in this thing. Yes, there is. Yes. And, that's actually what I always remember is him walking through the fog. That's like when you say the name of the movie, that's the first thing that pops into my head. Yeah, and it's um and it and it's got an actual like kind of interesting story too. It's just ultimately it's not that scary. All of the scenes with the wolfman in it are kind of short and there's not much he kind of just like runs up to someone and strangles them and that's the end of the scene. Yeah. Um, so we're going into 1944, The Uninvited. Now, this is a RKO uh, um, horror film that uh, is very – It's it was not under – not produced by Val Luton, I don't believe. But it's uh, it's very good. It's, it's, it's very light on horror. It's much more of a sort of a mystery where these – this uh, brother and sister, they uh, buy this house – and very, you know, it's it's haunted, and they're trying to figure out what's going on. And it has this backstory that involves the woman who used to live there and her daughter, um, who they bought the house from. And there's some really spooky seance scenes and stuff. But ultimately, uh, it's I mean, and it, it's classy, is the you could say it's more than scary. It's classy. Um, yes. And there's a nice Criterion version of it as well, so it looks really good. Um. Now, next is Dead of Night from 1945. I've said about all I need to say about this on the last bonus episode I did about anthology horror. Uh, Gabe, do you like Dead of Night? Yeah, it's one I had trouble remembering. It's one of many on this list that I've seen that I have, uh, you know, I, I vaguely remember it. But I do remember liking it. Yeah, it's um, it's a British anthology horror film. It's one of the first... Uh, it has a really, really interesting framing device, and the last story in it about the ventriloquist dummy is just about the creepiest thing you can imagine. Um, so I, I, I definitely highly recommend uh, Dead of Night. Next is 1945's The Body Snatcher. Now this is, I feel like in the 40s there was a whole uh, sort of subgenre of horror that was actually, it was less about uh, monsters than it was about um, unscrupulous and unethical doctors in the early days of surgery. Um Mm-hmm. This is this is a, a Val Luton produced uh, horror film. It has Bela Lugosi and uh, Boris Karloff squaring off against each other in one scene, um, and it's about you know it's called the Body Snatcher. And it's about grave robbing and stuff, and you know it's it's almost more of a crime thriller in the way that people have secrets and they turn on each other, and um, than it is a horror movie. I think probably I'm just not one to sort of clutch my pearls about grave robbing. <laughs> Uh, yeah. so, but, and it's also just, yeah, it's just not a, it's not an, um, environment that particularly interests me, but I, it's a really well-made, uh, movie for what that is. It's like, yeah, like Corridors of Blood was another one from that era. And I, there's another one I can't remember, but I remember thinking like, yeah, there's a couple like movies from the forties that are just kind of, uh, it was their version of serial killer movies. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of, kind of, um, so the next also from 1945 is Hangover Square. I saw this at Noir City this year. It's an incredible um, sort of film noir uh, British story about this composer who goes mad every time he hears a discordant uh, sound on a piano and he kills. And it's incredible. And the story behind it is incredible. I can't go into all of it right now. But um, if you want to watch uh, – if you want to read about it, uh, if you go to pandabearshape.com, uh, my partner Regina wrote a really good article about it and the sort of the backstory behind what happened to the actor. But it's it's got the best Guy Fox Day scene of any mo- <laughs> of any movie. <laughs> um, 
So the next from 1951, The Thing from Another World, the 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 film that inspired The Thing. Um, how do you feel about this one, Gabe? Um, it's good. It's it's ultimately I, I hate to say it, but it's a little bit forgettable. Um, I've probably seen it three or four times, and there are only certain images that really stick with me. It, it does have one of the best early jump scares I would say ever with the door uh, with the, when they open the door. And, and how the whole movie people are opening doors, yeah, until so they get you into the rhythm of it, and then one of the doors has something horrible behind it. It was very well put together that in that from that standpoint. I think of sci-fi movies of that era, the thing for another world is one of the most watchable, if only because it almost has a scr- yeah. a screwball energy to it. Because um, it talks, yeah, yeah. There's just a, a lot of like jokes, and all the characters have a light jaunty feel, and there's and it doesn't waste any time with. Well, this is preposterous. There must be an explanation. They find the alien. They find the spaceship. They know that it's an alien, and they just sort of move on. Um, yeah, I think I I really really enjoy that one. I don't think it's as good as Carpenter's film, but I think it's really good. No. Um, the next is Godzilla from 1954. Would you call this a horror movie? You know, I would not call any of the other Godzilla movies, except for maybe the remake, the recent one. But I think this is sort of a horror movie. I think it's genuinely chilling at some points at, at, especially the beginning when he when Godzilla first shows up and there are shots of him coming over a mountain and and farmers running away I think that that stuff is actually pretty horrifying and it must have been really horrifying before that was a common kind of image absolutely I would think my, my key image of this movie is uh just the city on fire just looking like hell and yeah, just and, and obviously, you know, 1954 Japan, it, it's dealing with sort of um, it's dealing psychically with the kind of fallout from the 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 A-bombs being dropped on Japan. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I agree with you. I don't know if any other Godzilla movie is a horror movie, but this one is definitely unnerving and scary in addition to being like a sci fi monster movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one, 1954 Creature from the Black Lagoon, very charming uh, universal horror movie sci-fi shot in 3d originally looks really good in 3d if you get a chance to see it that way yeah there is a blu-ray version that's in 3d now that's right that's right for the people that have all that equipment that's right so uh and i i I saw it the old-fashioned way which is the uh which is just the green and red uh yeah, I can't. It's yeah, I can't remember what that's called, but yeah. But uh, that is, but that that ends up working okay when it's a, a black and white movie because it just kind of makes everything shimmer. It doesn't really right. Uh, the colors aren't distracting, but uh, it's a it's a fun movie. It's got it's that tried and true Universal sort of tragic monster uh, structure, but really nice underwater shots too. Yeah, that's you could string together the underwater shots and just put it on a loop in the background and it work at a a kind of high concept party yeah yeah, yeah absolutely it's a, <laughs> at, at, at a at, it's like the kind of club that uh they go to and kiss kiss bang bang where the women are in the bubbles <laughs> there would just be right. like video screens of the creature swimming after julie adams yep um now tell me about 1957's Quatermass 2 now and and this i feel a little guilty because i i'm i honestly i've seen all four uh three of the feature Quatermass movies and uh, the second one is the most forgettable one, but it's also probably arguably better than the first one, which is so uh, confined. By, but at the same time, that's kind of – I don't know. It's hard to say. Quatermass 2 uh, has a really epic ending. 
um, if I'm remembering the right one, I hope I am. Uh, and you could see a lot of um, uh, the Toby Hooper movie, uh, which I keep wanting to call Planet of the Vampires, which it was actually called Life Force. Vampires from Space slash Life Force. Right. Uh, a lot of Life Force took from this movie. The last, like, third of Life Force is very much like Quatermass 2. Um, and there's a lot of uh, X-Files stuff going on. It's like, it feels like an X-Files season finale uh, if it was made in the late 50s. In England. In England, uh, for some reason. I'm, I'm sold. Uh, the next is 1958's Horror of Dracula. I'm a little surprised it only got one vote. Um, I think it might be, other than possibly Brides of Dracula, the best Dracula movie ever made. And Brides of Dracula doesn't actually really have Dracula in it. No. I, I just, uh, they, they put these out on Blu-ray just recently. Not this one, though, for some reason. Uh, I was re-watching them, and, and I, I would act, I, 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 uh, I would say that the Dracula AD uh, uh, 1972 is actually my favorite now, just because it's so out there. Sure. And weird, and then Taste the Blood of Dracula is sort of a wind-up for that. Um, but Horror of Dracula is the one that sets the entire tone for all of these Hammer movies. For a long time, they're basically all trying to be Horror of Dracula. And, and it, uh, Fisher ended up even directing most of them because he <laughs> directed Horror of Dracula. And Christopher Lee became Christopher Lee because of Horror of Dracula. It's, it's, even if, uh, I would, I would put it hmm, third or fourth on my list, and I like it a lot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, even if, uh, you're not the type of person who would normally like a, you know, older uh hammer horror movie it's probably one you should see yeah it's really it's fun it's well paced it's yeah it's very effective still it there's only like two scenes that don't have either christopher lee or peter cushing in them and those are the only two scenes in the movie that kind of drag and the rest of it is just total blast adventure horror yeah, and and lee is into the role in this case i think that you can see in the later movies because there's a big break between Dracula movies with Christopher Lee in there. Um, you could see that he wasn't quite as fond of the role anymore. I think this is the one that he throws himself into the most. Right. Um, Whereas Cushing always throws himself into it. Cushing is reliable all the way through. Yeah, I mean, and literally throws himself in the movie at the end. Literally, the yes. Climax. Yes. Uh, and that really great, uh, the climax with the uh, curtains. Um, the next film is from 1958. It's The Magician. It's an Ingmar Bergman movie. We have a couple Bergman movies on this list. Um, personally, I think that there are people, Bergman makes movies about the horror of mortality and death. And I think for some people, just that totally bleak, um, uh, outlook and just sort of shoving the audience's faces in like the meaningless of life and stuff like that is very scary and unnerving and disturbing. Um, and I think it leads them to call them horror movies when they're not quite horror movies. Um, the magician is not a horror movie, even though like even the criterion, uh, description on the back of the box, it says like, you know, a Gothic, you know, frightening horror film, but there's only one sequence at the very end that even tries for anything like that. Um, and you're not even empathizing with the person who's being frightened at the time. You're empathizing with the person who's doing the frightening. So it's not a scary movie. It's not a horror movie. I'm not a Bergman guy, so it's not my kind of movie. But um, it, you know, maybe it, maybe it's for you. It's it's you know, it's a Bergman movie, so it's it's fucking gorgeous. But yeah, uh, I'm not a Bergman guy either. 
but I will admit the first thing you said that his I think part of the reason I'm not a Bergman guy is because I do get upset watching his movies. <laughs> yeah. And and so I suppose I can understand how they would be horrifying. I, I'm almost the other way where I I spend so much of my day to day life just like such a large percentage of any given day thinking about obsessing over my own mortality and death <laughs> that it's like, oh, this is redundant. I don't need this in my life. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like a, like a nurse who comes home and like, I can't watch ER. I need to watch something else. <laughs> yes. Actually, that's my, my stepfather was an ER doctor and that, yeah, I, he hates anything except for house. He loves house because house tells it like it is. Oh, sure. Not even, not even joking. He loves House because House yells at patients. <laughs> that, that must be <laughs> anyway. very cathartic. At any rate, the yes. next film, we're leaving the 50s. We're going into the 60s. Horror Hotel. I have no idea what this is. What is this, Gabe? All right. This is the first one I watched specifically for this. I had meant to watch it for years. Um, I had been developing a thesis that 1960 is the watershed year that, you know, around that area, late 59, uh, is the watershed moment for modern horror. Because you have Psycho and uh, Repulsion, and I'm sorry, not Repulsion, uh, Psycho and Black Sunday and a bunch of movies. And this was one of the few uh, American ones that I knew it was on this list. And the crazy thing is, it's not the best movie. It's cheap, and it's uh, sub uh, Carnival of Souls spooky stuff, but it has that same Carnival of Souls spooky stuff appeal to it oh okay but the thing the thing that fascinated me is how much it has in common with other 1960s horror movies that were made at the same time there's no way they're ripping each other off just like uh, mario bava's black sunday it um opens with a witch being murdered by a mob she's burned instead of crushed in an iron maiden mask uh she swears her revenge then we cut to modern day which is pretty much exactly what happens in Black Sunday, more or less. Uh, in this version, Christopher Lee is a uh, boisterous uh, college lecturer uh, who is teaching a, a witchcraft, and uh, he sends a, a perky... I mean, it is the most 60s thing. that Everybody at the school basically looks like uh, the 20-somethings that wander in and out of shot in Mad Men. Okay. Um, he sends this perky girl to a town to do further research on this town where this woman at the beginning of the movie, this witch was burned and killed. Um, she uh, goes into town. She stays at a hotel and discovers the innkeeper is a reincarnation of the witch, uh, which is different from black Sunday. Cause in black Sunday, it turns out that there is a physical reincarnation and, in, in that she's in the bloodline. And then the witch itself also comes back to life. So there's two of them, but it's still, there's a similarity there. Um, she is then kidnapped, dragged underground, and sacrificed by the surviving townspeople, many of which are the uh, descendants of witches or witch burners or also ghosts themselves. It's a little unclear. Um, so she dies halfway through the movie, just like in Psycho, when your main character dies halfway through the movie, and then her boyfriend and sister go looking for her. Or, I'm sorry, boyfriend and brother instead of boyfriend and sister. So that has this plot connection to Psycho, then. Um, they go back, uh, and there is uh, one woman in the town who I, th I believe is a librarian, uh, who is the descendant of a Christian man who is 
uh, an insane uh, priest, basically. And they're the only innocent people in town. And she basically solves what had happened to this woman and goes and, and tells her friends because the woman didn't return the library book or, or if it's not a library, the borrowed book. So librarian uh, <laughs> basically saves the day, which I thought was really funny. There's also a hilarious scene. We fi- figure out that Christopher Lee is one of these descendants of, of witches and that this is his job is to send virgins to be sacrificed, um, which then ties into the Wicker Man which also has Christopher Lee, which has people tricking virgins into going into a small town where everything just seems weird at first, but then they're actually uh, sacrificed because they're virgins. Uh, But there's this hilarious scene where Christopher Lee is in a cloak um, and he's sacrificing, I believe it's a pigeon, to his dark lord. And he's doing this whole prayer and there's a knock on the door and he quickly... Uh, puts the dead bird back down, takes off his cloak, and washes the blood from his hands in the silliest, uh, like, gargoyle mouth uh, sink I've ever seen. (laughs) And then closes the curtain, and we discover this is just in his office at the school. Yeah. Um, And somehow he is keeping this, like, like, I just imagine the cleaning lady finding his creepy uh, sacrifice uh, little chamber thing. And just ignoring it for years. Um, anyway, the yeah, it, it turns out that the town needs two virgin sacrifices every year. So the uh, uh, girl's boyfriend and brother end up in a situation where they're trying to rescue the uh, librarian. Uh, I looked at the director, John Llewellyn Moxie, worked almost exclusively in TV. Um, it's he it it looks good. Uh, it's a lot of British actors with really shitty American accents. Was it was it um, filmed in Britain? Yeah. Okay. And uh, there's some really cool, uh, just like I guess hyperactive editing techniques. And at one point, there's an in-camera effect or there, where when people come into this town, the fog sort of envelops them, and all the women and some of the men uh, end up picking up a hitchhiker who's a ghost who is basically. Uh, vetting people who go into the town to decide if they need to be sacrificed or something. This sounds like a hundred thousand ideas. <laughs> it is. How long and is this movie? It's like 80 minutes. It's super <laughs> short. Um, and uh, uh, there's this great bit where uh, the brother crashes his car and there is a, uh, as, as there's this like overcranked image of uh, the witch in the tree laughing at him. And the film of their process shot runs over, so you actually see blank frames and the edges of the frame. <laughs> but it, it's actually really effective. It's really cool. It's like the coolest mistake in the whole movie. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, yeah, it's worth seeing. It's just weird. I don't know. Oh, and, and there's there's a whole thing where the character, uh, uh, the woman who gets sacrificed, there's a, a black teddy. She wandered uh, for, for no reason other than to do it she takes off her clothes where is wearing a black bra and panty teddy thing and puts them back on which just looks a lot like a similar shot in psycho so i found i found it fascinating if not good fascinating and it's uh it's in the public domain so it's very easy to see i watched it on youtube there were more than one versions of it on youtube uh i would recommend it but i thought it was pretty good all right i gotta i gotta check that Mm -hmm. out um, the next film, also from 1960, maybe not uh, 
sort of quintessential horror film, Le Bon Femme. It's a French-Italian Claude uh, Chabrol film. This is one of the ones that neither of us have seen. And from the description, it didn't sound like a horror film at all. It's these three women dealing with relationships and life and stuff. So I'm assuming it's one of those kind of art movies where the tension is kind of bubbling under the surface. And then either something shocking happens or just something kind of surreal happens. But uh, yeah, so that's Le Bon Femme. Uh, the Pit and the Pendulum, 1961. This is one of the few Roger Corman uh, Poe movies I haven't seen. It's good. It's uh, it's not the best one, but it might have the best sets in the whole series. And uh, it has Barbara Steele being very Barbara Steele, and she's always fun to watch. And her interacting with uh, Vincent Price is fabulous. Um, I actually hadn't seen it until pretty recently. It was on that first Vincent Price set that Shout Factory put out on Blu-ray, and I and I had seen it in parts before that, so I didn't see it the whole way through until, I think, just a year ago or maybe two years ago. It's good. It's very good. Better sets than uh, Mask of the Red Death? I would say even better than Mask of the Red wow. Death. Um, well, different. Di- sure. Mask of Red Death is more opulent. This is more gothic. Sure, sure. All right. Well, I mean, yeah, I'll check that out then. Next is another Corman film. I think this was actually directed by Corman, X, The Man with X-Ray yeah. Eyes. This is the second one I watched for the podcast. I was planning on watching it anyway. Um, I wouldn't call it a horror movie. It's really more of a sci-fi movie. Um, but it's interesting because it's it, the, the protagonist. It's a little bit of a play on uh, The Invisible Man because he goes kind of crazy. The fact that he can basically see everything at a certain point. He keeps uh, – it's a, it's a mad – not even a mad scientist. A scientist who's trying to cure – um, I think in the beginning he's trying to cure blindness, but for some reason he decides to develop a uh, drop that will give him x-ray vision. And he gets kind of addicted to the drops um, and just keeps putting them in until he's basically like seeing through time practically. And he goes mad and he accidentally kills his friend and leaves town like halfway through the movie. Uh, and then like the rest of the movie he's working as a... Uh, uh, as a in the he's uh, in the Nevada desert as a uh, freak show guy. He is reading people's minds, quote unquote. But he's actually like looking in their wallets with his X-ray vision and telling them things about themselves. Um, and it has every scene you would expect from a movie about a guy with X-ray vision from the '60s. Even though it's an older actor, he goes to one of his students' parties or friend of friends, and he's uh, seeing all these. Uh, sexy young uh, people dancing naked, but it's, you know, they're not allowed to show it, so it's all just uh, people with their back to the camera. Yeah, backs and, and shoulders. Yeah, backs and shoulders and, and, and just above and below frame. I've had this on at and work then, before. They basically look like they just got moved from Bleach bank Blanket Bingo onto the next yes. set. Um, they're doing the exact same dance. And it has has no bearing on the plot. It's just there because that's what you put in there. And there's a whole bit at the end where he ends up going to Vegas to cheat at cards. Um, and the ending is is really creepy. He uh, gets kicked out of Vegas, and he ends up he jumps on a car, but he can't tell where he's going because he can see through everything. And he ends up uh, wandering blind in the the Las Vegas desert. Um, and he uh, wanders into a tent revival. And they, uh, the people in the revival immediately basically accuse him of seeing Satan 
and beg him to pluck his eyes out, at which point he plucks his eyes out and is feels better because he can't see everything anymore. And that's that's how it ends. Yeah, uh, Stephen King is a big fan of this movie. He wrote about it extensively in uh, Dance Macabre. Oh, Dance did he? Macabre. Okay, yeah. I, yeah. Um, uh, I should see this. I uh, next. It's one of those movies you could tell was kind of being written as they were shooting it. Sure. Because it's really schizophrenic, but it's still really charming. Yeah. So next is Seance on a Wet Afternoon. It's a sort of a kidnapping procedural. It's very dark and moody, but I would never, I wouldn't call it a horror movie. It's very good, though. It's great. Yeah, I just, uh, it, I, it's on uh, the Hulu channel. It's on the Criterion Hulu channel, as, and I watched it on a whim, and I did not regret it. Yeah, it's, um, it's about a psychic or a, a phony psychic who's, basically, they kidnap a child, and then she is going to pretend that she's helping them find the child so that, you know, she can be a famous psychic. Um, yeah, really dark and moody, and it's got uh, uh, Richard Attenborough in a really uh, good role. But He's basically the most cowed husband in movie history. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, not a horror movie, though, I wouldn't say. Um, no, moody, though. Yeah. Next to it is 19, also 1964, Woman in the Dunes. This is uh, from Japan. This is... Um, this is another one that I started watching and I thought, oh boy, here's another movie. It's not a horror movie, but it, 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 it's fascinating. It's, it's one of the best movies I saw for this episode. Um, it's about this man who is a school teacher and he's an entomologist. He collects insects. And so he's going through the, these dunes. Um, I don't know what region of Japan this would be, but he's going through these dunes, collecting these insects and he misses the last bus out of town. So these people who live nearby in the dunes, they say, well, you can go and stay with this woman. And, you know, they let him down. She lives in basically in this giant sandy pit that's constantly uh, caving in uh, slowly, just a trickle of sand. And they let him down with a rope ladder, basically. And he spends the night. And when he comes back, there is no rope ladder anymore. And basically they he is their prisoner. Um, and the idea is that um, her, if her pit fills up with sand, then, uh, no, no, they're selling her sand that they use is used for construction materials or whatever. So basically sh they have, are forced to live down there and, and, uh, harvest the sand, uh, for these villagers to sell. And it's a very long and very surreal movie. It's one of the most gorgeous things I've ever seen. And it's not exactly a, a horror setup. It, you know, she's not a ghost or anything like that, but, um, it is so unnerving. There's just sand everywhere all the time. And uh, there's just these really great sh like close-ups of people's necks and hands and stuff that are just covered in sand. And you, you know that you know that feeling when you like leave the beach and like once you're outside of the context of being at the beach, suddenly every pet fleck of sand on your skin is like this assault. Like yes. that's that's what this whole movie is. The overall effect is just this really overwhelming thing. And it goes into much like sort of darker places it's it was made by this avant-garde filmmaker apparently this is like his most narrative film he ever made um <laughs> I, my interpretation of it is it is sort of about like capitalism and the working class being these prisoners who live in an eroding pit <laughs> but like that's you know my interpretation of it there's several others but it's a really great fascinating movie it's definitely creepy and unnerving um and in the end i would say that yeah i would qualify it as, as a horror movie um so next is 1965's The Possessed. What is this? 
Um, I, this is one I happen to have watched, not for this, but because I reviewed, uh, the director is uh, Luigi Bazzoni, and he had directed a really good uh, spaghetti western that just came out on Blu-ray called Man, Pride, and Vengeance uh, with Franco Nero that is basically Carmen, uh, the opera, as a spaghetti western. And so I figured I should watch some of his other movies. Uh, the Possessed is the American title. Uh, the Italian title is La Donna del Lago, The Lady of the Lake, and it has literally nothing in common with the opera The Lady of the Lake. Um, it's uh, it's not quite a giallo movie, but it's on the way to being a giallo movie. It's like it's like an Italian noir that is, is the building box blocks of what would become really common in giallo movies in the next you know five years after this. I would say proto giallo. Um, yeah, proto giallo. Uh, there is, there are some kind of bland shots, but then there are these really breathtaking, um, surreal, uh, images that kind of look like Hitchcock's Dolly, uh, stuff in, uh, Spellbound. Yeah. In Spellbound. Um, and, uh, it's kind of got a vertigo feel to it too. I get the feeling that it was made in reference to vertigo, um, would I would say that that's its its uh, its uh, progenitor or whatever? I don't know. Uh, Vertigo influenced uh, proto giallo sounds pretty damn appealing. Yeah, um, and yeah, it's got a decent mystery. Uh, like most giallo, there's you're not going to be able to solve it. Uh, and uh, uh, if you like it, uh, people who watch it. Um, the uh, main director, uh, Bazzoni, it, there's also correct, accredited to Franco Rosalini, but uh, Rosalini was a producer and he wrote it with his father, Renzo Rosalini. I think he probably just went in and redirected scenes because he wasn't happy with the way it turned out is my assumption there. Um, but uh, Bazzoni also made uh, a movie called Footprints, a.k.a. The Footprints on the Moon, which is a really bizarre giallo uh, where this woman keeps having flashbacks to a movie, a, a sci-fi movie starring Klaus Kinski. Uh, and another one called The Fifth Chord, which also has Franco Nero in it, which is probably uh, up there on most people's best Giallo movie uh, lists, I'd say. Uh, I don't know if this one has an official release, but I would hope it would. It's really nice black and white photography. I recommend it. All right. We got to speed this up a little bit. Um, yes. Uh, seconds. Uh, 1966. What is this? Uh, it's about a man who signs uh, his life over. Basically, he's allowed to do whatever he wants, but he will be sacrificed in the end. Uh, it's. Uh, I saw an episode of Sliders with that plot. <laughs> yeah. It's. Yeah. Um, it's it's really good Frankenheimer uh, work uh, up there with uh, something like uh, a Manchurian Candidate as far as the visuals and the intensity uh, of it. Uh, I think it's it's grown in popularity over the years. Uh, good, I think uh, it's it's Rock Hudson in the lead. I oh, believe. Oh, okay, I know this. This this is like getting remade or something. Is it? I didn't I know that. So. I... It, it it works. It would totally work. I could see them remaking it. It's got really nightmarish scenes, and then, yeah, it's it's good. All right. It's based on a novel, apparently. Yeah. So what's a Plague of the Zombies? That's a Hammer zombie movie. It's a Hammer zombie movie. Uh, it's good looking. Uh, 
there's not a lot to uh, remember about it as far as it's, it's a little generic. Okay. I would say. But it is, it is uh, pre Night of the Living Dead. It is pre Night of the Living Dead. They're not flesh eaters. Um, but I, they're also not quite uh, the, 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 you know, voodoo zombie thing either. They are risen dead. Huh. Uh, they murder people. Yeah, they don't, they're not flesh eaters. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting movie. Not the most memorable, but it's interesting. And then also from 1966, The Witch. The Witch is another one I watched just for this. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's o- opaque. Uh, it's another. It's pseudo giallo, like not quite giallo. It's on a lot of giallo lists. Uh, the Italian title is La Straga in Amore. Uh, I don't know. Maybe they say Amore. I I, I don't know Italian. Uh, it's based on a novel called Aura. Um, it's uh, a mysterious, uh, sickly woman charges a historian played by Richard Johnson, who was in the haunting and then showed up as the doctor in, uh, Fulci's zombie, who is translating, uh, memoirs in a mansion. Uh, her, uh, the woman's daughter appears and plays sexual games, a pretty intense sexual games for 1966. There's a scene where they remove each other's clothing with their mouths. Um, yeah. Uh, and then another guy who is uh, uh, Gian uh, Maria Volente, uh, Voluente, <laughs> Voluente uh, who is the uh, villain in Fistful of Dollars and for a few dollars more. He uh, joins in on the games, asks the guy to leave, but also joins in on the games. Uh, the guy finds the embodied, uh, embalmed body of the father, discovers the woman is much older than she looks, and that the daughter is not actually her daughter um, and it's never quite explained, but the idea, I think, is is that she can become the daughter at times, and that it's sort of a ghost. Um, and so she's uh, seducing these two men, and, and uh, he ends up killing his rival, uh, realizes that he was tricked by the women, and, and basically it becomes a cyclical thing where this uh, immortal witch has a different ma- uh, male servant that she keeps in line by also producing this young, pretty version of herself to seduce the guy. Uh, and it's, it's really vague, but basically she keeps him around and says, you have to, you have to, um, uh, figure out what these memoirs say. And they think that they're doing a job, but they're not really doing a job and they're selling her antiques. So she still has money. And at the ends with the guy going crazy and tying her to a fence and burning her. This sounds incredibly convoluted, <laughs> really convoluted. Like to the point where I actually almost had to stop it and kind of shake my head out. Cause I was paying very close attention and reading subtitles at the same time. Right. Uh, it's directed by, uh, Diamano, uh, Damini, uh, Diamini, uh, who did some fabulous, uh, Zapata Westerns, which are the really political spaghetti Westerns, uh, Bullet for the General, which is also called Kien Sabe. And uh, he made a bunch of uh, Polis Iotechi movies, which are the cop uh, Eurocrime movies. He made a lot of those, like Day of the Owl, Confessions of a Police Captain, and How to Kill a Judge, which are super-duper political ones. Um, And he directed Amityville 2. Which we talked there about. There we last. go. Well, that okay. So he he has cred. He he directed. A, he <laughs> has major cred. Too. Uh, 
The next one is Mademoiselle. This is a French film, 1966. Um, it seems like a very uh, strange kind of psychosexual thriller in which a woman sets fires when she's aroused in order to sort of attract this man who's getting accused of setting the fires. Um, sounds very interesting. I uh, didn't get a chance to see it, so that'll be all about that. Um, sorry, you got to have to <laughs> describe the next couple as well. Uh, Quatermass in the Pit. Quatermass in the Pit is maybe my favorite Hammer movie. It's uh, it's it's the bright, brightly colored, really interesting story. It uh, very clearly uh, uh, was an influence on on both the the Life Force, which I mentioned before, and on uh, Prince of Darkness. There's a lot of Prince of Darkness here. Um, it's uh, yeah, and then, again, there's a lot of X Files stuff in here. It's about aliens uh, that are discovered in the ground. Is the quick you know, and then all the stuff that happens from there is all this. Uh, metaphysical shit going on. It's it's great. It's really good. Uh, the ne- uh, the next is Frankenstein created woman, which I I think is the best of the Hammer Frankenstein that movies. Is the first one a lot. Very a good. lot of people uh, feel this way. I know that Robert Reinecke feels that way. It's got that kind of. It's got. It's that point in uh, Hammer's history where they started to get a little trashy to try to keep up with uh, the hippies. Um, <laughs> so, but it also has. Uh, I'm gonna use the word metaphysical again. It's got this whole concept of the uh, of 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 the ego and the mind and the soul instead of just the body. Instead of Frankenstein just moving a brain from one body to the other, he's trying to. It's a little more esoteric than the other ones. Sure. Um, the next one is Fearless Vampire Killers, which is a spoof of Hammer movies that Polanski made. 1967, uh, by the way. I forgot to say. It's a. Uh, it's a movie I've probably seen. It's another one I've seen many times that I have trouble remembering. There are some really over the top, like mugging, silly, silly scenes. It's a, um, but it's pretty funny. When it's funny, it's very funny. And it's shot. The thing that makes it work is that Polanski shot it like a like a Fisher like a Terrence Fisher movie. Like it's gorgeous looking, and image wise, it is a deadly serious Hammer horror movie. But then all the stuff going on is silly. That's funny. I- I've never really. It always sounded a little too campy for me, and the it's pretty. It's campy. And hearing it is that it's a parody of Hammer movies, which I had not known. That's the first thing I've heard that made me realize. Oh, I should go. I should actually watch this. Yeah, it's entertaining. It's not like Polanski's un, unsung masterpiece, but it's entertaining. Speaking of campy fun, uh, Vi from nineteen sixty seven is a, a Russian film. That is sort of a recent rediscovery. It was never released in America, and it only got its first DVD release in America. It's first home video release of any kind in America in like 2002. Um, it's it is it, it is basically a proto Spooka Blast kind of Sam Raimi movie. Um, obviously, Sam Raimi never saw this, but uh, it definitely has that same vibe. It's about these um, theology students who all go out and <laughs> and during sp- it's basically theology spring break, which is just as rowdy, if not more rowdy, <laughs> than normal spring break. They end up drunk in a field and they stay at a farmer's house and it turns out that the woman at the farm is a witch and she rides one of them like a broom and kills the other two. Uh, <laughs> and he runs away and then uh, he beats her uh, off of him and, until she's unconscious and runs away. And when he gets back to the seminary, he realizes no one will believe what happened to him. So he just keeps his mouth shut and then he gets called to do a you know to stay stay up with the dead uh the the tradition of sort of the the wake of the staying up three nights 
with the dead. And it turns out that the the person, the body he's going to be staying up with is the witch that he killed. Um, and so every night he gets locked in the church and it basically just becomes a crazy fun house where he's trying to pray and the demon is pulling out all these tricks. It's amazing special effects. It's very fun. Um, really, yeah, really good practical effects. Uh, it's, it's ultimately, ultimately like it doesn't elevate in a way it could because it is sort of just restricted by being this fable about faith and, and being from 1967. But, uh, it's, it's definitely the other movie I saw specifically for this episode that I just love the hell out of. I couldn't recommend it enough. Uh, I don't know if it has another, I don't know if there's like a really good release of it, but, uh. I don't know. It's a V I Y is how you spell it. So check that out. Really good. Um, the next 1968 Witchfinder general, really nasty, uh, witch hunting movie. Uh, you know, unlike uh black Sunday or horror hotel in the, in these movies, there are no supernatural, witches. Right. it's basically just about the nastiness of men featuring the most, uh, the creepiest and, and most heartless performance by Vincent price ever. I, I, yeah. this movie's brutal, but I love it. Yeah, and it, it's another one of those movies that everybody hated when it came out. And it, well, not everybody, but it very slowly has built up to be, I would say, a lot of the price experts consider this his best movie at this point. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's funny about it. It almost feels, it almost felt to me when I saw it, it felt like a like a spaghetti western almost. In, yeah, in, a little like, bit. Like, they're constantly riding from town to town, and it just, the violence is really nasty in the way that, you know, violence in, like, a Sergio Leone movie can get nasty, um, and the, and the, and the morals are kind of gray. Um, it has a pseudo happy ending, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. Witchfinder General is really, really good movie. It was released in originally uh, in the U S under the conqueror. Yes. Yeah, so that's, the that's the alternate so title. There was confusion. There was confusion there. Um, the next is 1968 targets. I'm shocked you haven't seen this. I know. I still haven't gotten around to it. It's not like immediately available. I think is what. No, it is. It's totally on Netflix. I don't know. I don't have an excuse. Yeah, that's fine. Um, Targets <laughs> is you. One, I can I can imagine one saying that they don't consider it a horror movie. It's it's kind of actually about the difference between horror movies and real life horror. In that it, it yeah. contrasts two stories. One is about a. Uh, it's subtly implied that he's a Vietnam vet um, who is just a sociopath who fantasizes about murdering people on doing shooting sprees. And the other story is about Boris Karloff is this aging horror actor who thinks that all of his movies are outdated. You see all these clips from like the terror and these other Corman, uh, Boris Karloff uh, productions. And he doesn't, he feels like a dinosaur. He doesn't want to do it anymore. He just feels silly and useless. And the two things come to the head when the mass shooter, um, uh, stakes stakes a little nest in the in the back of a drive-in screen and starts killing people at the drive-in theater um in one of the greatest creepiest most unnerving sequences ever because you know a drive-in theater you have these you all the windows are rolled up and you have these speakers uh in your windows Mm -hmm. so these people are getting shot but they can't hear it so you see slowly everyone in the theater sort of realize what's happening and the panic spreading in real time um, Peter Bogdanovich, who, you know, would later go on to be more successful with Last Picture Show and Paper Moon, directed this. This is one of his first films. Uh, one of the many directors you got to start, start with Roger Corman. It is totally bleak and unnerving and creepy. The scene in which the mass shooter kills his family 
is just about uh, one of the most chilling things I've ever seen in a movie. Um, obviously, it has more relevance today than it had in 1968. But um, one of the things I really appreciate about it is it doesn't try to uh, pathologize why he's doing it. or It doesn't try to get inside of his mind. He is just sort of this blank slate um, because it is about sort of the human beings in in the, how incapable we are of just comprehending why such horrible, horrible things can happen. Uh, like someone could just wake up and choose to do something so terrible. Um, and how different that is from like a spooky castle. Uh, I mm. think it's definitely a horror movie. Um, it's just mm-hmm. not like any horror movie that had ever been made up to that point. It's definitely one of the films that came out in 1968 that sort of changed the game. Um, incredible, incredible film. Um, so yeah, see it, Gabe. <laughs> I will. Uh, Frankenstein must be destroyed. Uh, this is another one I just recently rewatched because it was on that Blu-ray set I mentioned. Uh, I find a lot of the Frankenstein movies a little interchangeable. Uh, what makes this one different is the uh, monster is a particularly pathetic and sad because it's uh, it's totally a man who is aware that his brain has been moved into a different body and his wife can't deal with it at the end and so he burns himself and it's also kind of famous because uh hammer producers wanted them to put in a rape scene where uh frankenstein who is cushing is really evil in this particular movie it might be his most evil like just flat out evil role he's ever played um he he rapes a girl for no apparent real good reason um and she spends the rest of the movie as an assistant and they never mention it again which is creepy but it's because I guess the director didn't even want to do it in the first place, so they were kind of hoping that it would just be cut out. Yeah, the of the movie. I, from what I from what I've heard is th- th- this is the most fucked up thing. The producers wanted to sex up the movie, and that was the like, that was their idea. Have Peter Cushing rape somebody? Yeah, that's how. You, yeah, have a have a six. I don't know. Is he almost sixty by then? That, Your old man rapes. It's funny you, you talked about the, how Hammer was getting slightly trashier uh, with Frankenstein created woman. Um, and I think actually one of the most fascinating things about watching Frank, uh, a lot of Hammer horror movies and seeing their progression from 1958 on is seeing their really conservative values mesh with this sort of attempt to appeal to countercultural audiences with, you know. Which they just don't get. Which they it's don't the, understand. They don't get it at all. It's It's almost my favorite thing about that period is that – these old men who don't get it kind of going, eh? Yeah. Is this what you want? Right. And then it just, it ends up, it's, it's almost like a Tyler Perry movie where he's trying to do a morality play, but he has the most fucked up sense of morals. It yes. ends up as this just <laughs> fascinating document of like someone being totally out of the loop. Yes. Um, the next is blind beast also for 1969. This is one I watched for the podcast that I had meant to watch for years. And has become one of my favorites. It is super good. It's based on a story by Edogara Rampo, whose name you, when you say it aloud, realize is is Edgar Allan Poe. It's a writer who was the self-proclaimed Japanese heir to Edgar. Oh, Allan oh my God! So that's yeah, that's amazing. That's a pseudonym. Yeah, um, he wrote the stories in the movie uh, Horrors of Malformed Men, which I talked about last year. Mm-hmm. Um, this, this story is, it's out there and it's definitely a horror movie in, in, in that it is disturbing as fucking hell. It really got to me. Um, it follows a blind psychopathic sculptor 
who kidnaps a model in hopes of her becoming his new muse. Um, and the only other major character in the entire movie is the art is this blind man's mother. And he has this chamber of things he sculpted. The woman wakes up and, and he's like explaining his whole, his art to her. He's trying to do this in the nice way, quote unquote, I kidnapped you. Here's what the amazing things I can do. And he has these, these walls of body parts and I honestly could watch an entire movie of this guy walking by and saying, like, here's my finger wall. And giant fucking fingers, just man-sized fingers. Here here are toes. Here are noses. So you, it, one, you want the, one point, it's, you want the blind it's be- buttholes. <laughs> you want, it's, it's insane. So you want Boobs. The, the blind beast uh, MTV Cribs episode. <laughs> yes. It, oh, that's – yes, that's exactly it's – like, it's like someone – it's like a Fellini movie almost. Yeah. But, like, in the way that Fellini movies actually disturbed me, this was – it was amazing production design. This is just epic room, and it's got black walls, so you don't even know how big it is. And then in the middle of it, there are these huge fiberglass or maybe paper mache uh, nude torsos. And he actually makes her perch on the torso while he feels her up and then sculpts and feels her up and sculpts. Um, and it feels like – and she's narrating the whole thing. So it's a little, you know, maybe the Fifty Shades of Grey crowd would get into that because it's really an S&M movie because they um, slowly fall in love. And she, at the beginning, she's using him. She's pretending to be attracted to him so that she can get more freedom. And she tries to escape and the mother stops her. And then she turns him against his mother by saying, you know, your mother doesn't want us to be together kind of thing. And he accidentally kills his mom, at which point he goes insane but instead of murdering her, he continues to do it, and then she goes insane too. And the last, like, I don't know, 15 minutes is, is like, way over the top of what I thought it would be because this brutally nihilistic S&M thing where they're, they're uh, cutting each other uh, and drinking each other's blood, and that's not enough anymore. So they're beating each other, and that's not enough anymore. And they're not even sculpting the thing anymore. They're just laying around, and they have no energy to have sex or beat each other anymore. And the woman finally says, I need you to cut my arms and legs off. And he says, like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, this is what we need to do. So he goes and he gets a butcher knife and a, and a uh, hammer. And they show him sizing up where he's going to hit. And he hits. And then they show whatever corresponding limb falls off the sculpture. Um, and so we are implied that she has no limbs at the end and bled out. But they don't show it. 1969. Uh, yeah, it was intense. Uh, and it's funny, too, because I've seen only one other movie by the director who is uh, Yaso, Yasoho, Yasozo Masumura. I asked a friend how to pronounce these things who speaks Japanese. Yasozo Masumura. He made a movie called Giants and Toys, which is the most joyful, happy, surrealist <laughs> kind of pop sensation of a movie. Uh, it's so that yeah, I was not prepared, but it, Blind Beast is fantastic, and whoever voted for it, I thank them for making me finally see it. Um, so now in thirty seconds, describe the Cremator because I couldn't watch it. I got ten minutes in; it was late at night, and I was so lost that I said, "Yeah, probably not." It's uh, it's about a professional Cremator uh, on the onset of the crumbling Czech Republic as Nazi troops are invading the country. He's, uh, he practices abstinence, which is not, he lies. He totally goes to hookers. 
um, doesn't smoke, and he has this whole Buddhist belief system, um, and that he thinks that his cremation is alleviating earthly suffering. I actually had to look this up. I didn't get any of this from watching the movie. I watched the entire movie and then read a synopsis. Um, he's got all these weird obsessions with uh, decorating his apartment, he and his wife, and they have like entomology samples under glass and paintings of leaders from other countries. And eventually he falls in line with Nazi uh, beliefs because he's uh, what it's really the subtext is that he's afraid that he's going to be killed himself because his wife is Jewish. Um, and he, uh, uh, I mean, the idea of a cremator having a Jewish wife uh, is obviously during Nazi uh, op- occupation. Uh, there, uh, he he basically name he casually names a bunch of Jews to his uh, anti and anti German checks to his Nazi companions. He's basically hoping he's becomes a star fucker is the best way of putting uh-huh. it. He wants to be in their party, and so he starts just naming people like, "Oh yeah, I heard so and so say a bad thing about you," and so and so, and so he ends up uh, n- nonchalantly hanging his own wife. And his quarter Jewish child and chases down the other quarter Jewish child um, and, and has readjusted his Buddhist uh, thing to, uh, to say that he is, uh, he is freeing them from their Jewishness by uh, cremating them. And he's just has basically gone entirely insane. He's hallucinating himself as the Dalai Lama and all sorts it's of stuff. It's a really weird black and white – I mean, yeah, weird obviously. But like it's black and white, uh, very uh, expressive editing. It's – uh, there's some. They break the fourth wall all the yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. It's a very odd movie. It's a lot like F is for Fake as far as the way it flows. Yeah. Uh, those those like weird th- those later uh, 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 almost Kafka esque movies that uh, that Wells made yeah. it has that same effect on me where it's like disturbing me but I'm kind of going with it. Sure. So what's the the House that Screamed our last movie of the sixties? And this is the this is another fantastic one that I watched for the podcast. It uh, La, La Residencia. It is Spanish, but everything about it is so stereotypically uh, uh, British. Um, it's it's almost a children's movie. It's kind of like uh, the the horror equivalent to those '60s Disney dramas. Um, it, it begins being told from a little girl's point of view. It has a lot in common with Suspiria because a young woman is sent to an expensive boarding school run by an iron-fisted headmaster, and she has these psycho thug girls that enforce her rule um, beyond even what she's realizing they're doing. So there's a disturbing scene where they're making this girl um, sing minstrel songs because they find out her mom is a prostitute. Um it's like lots of really disturbing scenes of girls being mean girls to each other. And every time a girl runs away, they'll have their throats cut by a mysterious killer who you spend most of the movie assuming is the headmistress, but discover at the end, I, I feel like this is okay to spoil, uh, is actually her son who she has locked in there, who is trying to have relationships with these girls who he keeps uh, she, she's kind of keeping down by explaining that he's better than all of them and he needs to meet someone like her. So there's this really creepy psychosexual thing going on. Mm-hmm. And he has um, been killing these girls and taking their, the best of their body parts and is making a Frankenstein girlfriend, basically <laughs> like may it's it may uh, lucky McKee clearly saw this. There's, movie. there's the twist. I was like, this all sounds pretty standard. There you go. 
But the twist comes out of nowhere. There's like no real like like the murders are almost like a different movie. There's this really great dark Disney movie about these incredibly British people doing it. They're technically, I think, in France, but it's everything about it is super British. Um, and and there's this perversion beneath it, like where the girls have to they take showers dressed in they're they're fully dressed when they shower. They're not allowed to be nude when they shower. And the headmistress clearly has these these uh, S&M psychosexual lesbian fantasies about him that she's trying to keep under uh, wraps. And there's this really great scene where there's a, the woodman, which, you know, there's the woodman comes every week and there's the girls arrange who gets to go visit the woodman, which is like the most obvious (laughs) uh, uh, double entendre. And while one of the girls is visiting the woodman, the other girls are all thinking about it. And though they can't actually hear her sexual moans, we know that they can sense it. And there's this scene that is all cut, uh, very sharply cut between her sounds and girls in, uh, they're in, they're sewing and needle threading. They're in some class that's supposed to help them make clothes. And they're going faster and faster and faster as this other girl is having sex. And as the girl climaxes, one of them pricks herself on the finger. (laughs) It's really well done. That sounds pretty uh, good. The direct, director Narciso Ibanez Serrato uh, also did Who Can Kill a Child. Okay. Ten years later, which is a fabulous horror movie. That one got a lot of votes um, last that, year. Yeah. And he's still working. He just did something recently. Uh, I think that uh, it's a little bit of Del, uh, Del Toro's uh, Devil's Backbone. There's even a boy who fixes clocks, and I think that uh, Harry Potter fans might even like it. Well, I think there's a lot of a lot of people might really like this movie and should look. Well, I have a lot of I have, I have a lot of Harry Potter fans come into my uh, yeah. come into my store, so I'll be sure to recommend it to them. Yeah, if you have a copy of it, uh, I don't know if it. I don't even know. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, I drink your blood uh, from 1970, the first film of the 70s. We're going to be talking about this film is everything I ever want. Anytime I watch. A low-budget, sleazy, scuzzy grindhouse movie. It's got uh, a Manson-esque cult of biker hippies uh, who who terrorize a small town and, as revenge, a small child uh, feeds them meat pies that he injected with rabies. Um, <laughs> they go crazy, start killing each other uh, after already uh, performing these strange... Um, these strange sort of rituals, cutting each other and stuff. They start infecting the whole town. Basically, the whole town goes rabid. Lots of fun gore, just fucked up, crazy shit all over the place. It's it's got a it's got like a gross gang rape scene. That's how the rabies spreads to all of the loggers who live in the town. It the the one Asian character, uh, the way she dies is that, is that she like sits Indian style and lights herself on fire. Like it's. It's offensive in every absurd way you think and hope that these movies are. Um, and it's well-paced, and I, I, I like the hell out of this movie. It, it's also one of a, a nice little collection of movies. I think you even sent me a link, and I was already thinking about this, but there's some, some movies that released between Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead where zombie movies weren't specified flesh-eating, rising dead George Romero things. Right. Um, and I, I think it's like it's it belongs in there where it's basically a zombie movie. This is where zombie movies could have gone. Yeah. Had Dawn of the Dead not totally restructured. Yeah. I, I, I always out. think of the two uh, the two veins of uh, of zombies being Romero zombies based on, you know, these sort of reanimated flesh eaters 
whose heads you have to cut off. And then I also think of Cronenberg zombies, which is basically like rabid. Um, and this is this is like a Cronenberg movie that not as well made as a Cronenberg movie. Right. <laughs> it even has that actress who's in Shivers. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and Crazy. She's in Crazies too, which is also sort of a yeah. Crazies movie. is a similar uh, sort of a thing. Uh, Crazies, I think, is a little smarter and a little more interesting. Yeah, she but she's like the queen of those not quite zombie yeah. movies from the seventies. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, the next is Bird with Crystal Plumage, uh, um, essential. Uh, giallo film by Dario Argento. I'm as not as someone who isn't a fan of giallo. I'm also this is not one of my favorite Argento films, but uh, it's definitely stylish. Yeah, I, I, it's the one that sets it sets a lot of the stereotypes that move through the entire genre after it. It was so popular that they all tried to rip it off, even though there had been other giallo before it, gialli. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's one that I I have grown to like more, and is now maybe my second favorite of his movies. Uh, as I've over the years, I think it's maybe his best written movie. Yeah, it's it's the one that is has the least weird plot holes and coincidences and shit like that. Um, next, nineteen seventy, Wizard of Gore. This is a Herschel Gordon Lewis film. Um, yeah, most Herschel Gordon Lewis movies just they're just excuses for gory set pieces. Um, this one literally all they all take place on a stage, <laughs> like. Yeah, this is uh, it's 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 uh, it's completely trash in the way that all of Herschel Gordon Lewis's movies are um, about this wizard who he has these stage shows where he asks for volunteers from the audience and he does insane, gruesome things to them where their guts fly out and stuff. But it turns out it's all an illusion. They're fine, except that later that night they die in the same way. And there's these bumbling detectives who take forever to figure out the connection between the guy who's pretending to murder people and the people who get murdered the exact same way a couple day, a couple hours later. Uh, but tons of great gore in it. And uh, like all of those Herschel Gordon Lewis movies, it's so low rent that there is a kind of, uh, kind of almost hypnotic atmosphere to them. Um, uh, you haven't seen this, though. No, I've never actually seen Wizard of Gore. Uh, it's it's great, way better than Suspiria. Uh, to quote Jason Bateman, <laughs> I imagine. <laughs> to quote imagine. to quote Jason Bateman and Juno. Um, yeah. Uh, next is La Boucher, uh, nineteen seventy. Neither of us have seen it. It's another Claude uh, Chabrol film. It's about an unlikely friendship between a butcher and uh, a woman during in a town where where these Jack the Ripper like murders are happening. Uh, sounds interesting. Uh, after that, Bay of Blood, 1971. Shocked this only got one vote. Uh, I don't know if yeah. I even... I don't think I voted for it, but I, it's possible. Um, I feel like this is not one of Bava's more esteemed films, but I love the hell out of it. It's 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 really influential at the very mm-hmm. least, and it's very, it's very fun. Yeah. It's... Yeah. You, there's, there's just a dozen moments where you can see where various uh, uh, slasher movies ripped ripped it off. Um, but it also has a really fun structure of instead of trying to guess who the killer is, everyone is a suspect because they're all the killers. <laughs> yes, they're all doing it. It's ten little Indians. Yeah, um, uh, on the bay, uh, and it's it's uh, got some really gorgeous photography though because it's it feels a little cheaper than a lot of his other movies. Uh, it doesn't. It's not nearly as good looking as something like Black Sabbath or Black Sunday, but. Uh, in part because it wasn't shot on sets it was shot on location exactly I think that's really what 
is the problem. Yeah, there. so he couldn't control the lighting in the same way. <laughs> yeah. But uh, there's still some very beautiful shots of like the shimmering sun on the bay and stuff like that. Um, I like Bay of the Blood a lot. Uh, next is Cat of Nine Tales, 1971. This is Argento's second movie, and until he started making really genuinely awful films, was considered his weakest. Um, I've always liked it. It's not a horror. It's probably his least horrifying of all his giallos. It's 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 a, a gialli. I keep doing that. Uh, it's it moves very quickly. It's got a decent. It's got some good action scenes. There's even a car chase. Um, uh, the cast is good. Um, American cast. A lot of the major characters are. There's a great uh, scene where there's poisoned milk, uh, and we're waiting to see if it's very Hitchcockian. Where is the guy going to drink the poisoned milk? The camera's literally on the tray of poisoned milk and following the poisoned milk. And uh, it's 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 a lot better than its original reputation uh, would tell you it is. I actually like it better than Four Flies and Gray Velvet, which was kind of lost. So people, I think, kind of. Uh, made that one into a better movie than it actually sure, is. Sure, that happens. Next is Don't Deliver Us From Evil, 1971. Uh, I Again, another one I haven't seen in a very long time. Uh, it makes a good uh, companion piece with uh, If, because it's about a rebellion at a uh, um, boarding school. Uh, and it, it's it's also a little bit of a companion piece. It's, it's a little bit like a proto version of uh, Heavenly Creatures. I don't think it's based okay. on that. Okay, so it isn't so it story. isn't supernatural. Um they uh dedicate themselves to Satan um and I can't remember honestly can't remember if anything actually supernatural <laughs> happens. I don't think it does. Sometimes though. people dedicate themselves to Satan, but Satan doesn't show up. Oh, wait, wait. It says it's based on the Parker Holmey murder case. So it was a real murder okay. case. It is based on the exact same story. The Heavenly Creatures is based on. Oh, okay. There you go. I just looked it up. Okay. Yeah, so it's Heavenly Creatures. It's proto-Heavenly Creatures. Interesting. Uh, I remember it being pretty good. Uh, Daughters of Darkness, also 1971. Really, really good. Maybe, arguably, the best of the sapphic vampire movies. Is this uh, um, Jess Franco? No, it is uh, Harry Kumel, or Kumel. I'm not sure. He's a uh, Belgian. Uh it's uh, really dreamy, but has more uh, has actually good dialogue. It's not like the Jess Franco ones that are really just visuals. Um, it's got more of a story going on and some really great scenes. And the the woman in it is actually reincarnated, or actually in, in immortal uh, Elizabeth uh, Bathory, um, and she's got kind of a a girl who falls around and she seduces. And it's it's really a for the most part four people. Uh, in a love uh, rectangle, I guess. Interesting. I definitely recommend it. I like it a lot. Next is uh, 1972 John Borman's Deliverance. Um, this is another film that maybe some wouldn't consider it a horror film, though. I think this definitely, I, I can give it to someone who would think it is. It's, um, you know, three friends go uh, white river rafting before a dam gets... I guess I can't remember if the dam is going to get erected or the dam is going to get torn down, but either way, it's going to ruin the river that they'd be going down. So they're trying to get like one last shot at it, and then they end up being uh, sniped and sort of uh, attacked and assaulted by these uh, redneck men, and then it sort of becomes a battle of wills. Um, you know, uh, very very famous popular film. I I like it. I like it too. I think it's pretty horrifying. It it's got elements that were stolen for slasher movies for sure. Like before 
before Friday the 13th became the slasher model, I think that Deliverance was ripped off quite a bit oh, really? by earlier slasher movies. I, I, the, the, the crazy redneck thing, the, the running away, the caught in the, in the forest where you don't know how to get out kind of thing. Oh, sure, sure. Instead of just being in a campground, like actual, the, 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 the forest itself is part of the problem, that kind of thing. All right. Next is Don't Torture a Duckling, Lucio Fulci's uh, giallo film. Uh, interesting movie. Yeah, I, it's another one I like a little bit more every time I watch it. It's a uh, great cast and uh, interesting story. Really stretches the... Uh, like, I, I think that the reveal at the end of who the killer is is supposed to be utterly shocking. Um, and instead, in the modern era, is sort of like, oh, okay, <laughs> kind of situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's supposed to... Uh, the, the drama doesn't hit as well as it should, but it has something to say about... Uh, mob mentality and the way people judge like it's about this conservative town that murders are happening and they uh, first they blame the crazy woman uh who is actually genuinely they think she's a witch and she practices witchcraft but it turns out she's probably just schizophrenic and they beat her to death anyway and then the next suspect is the is the out of town rich girl who uh who is uh promiscuous and and so yeah, it's basically they're 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 picking everyone who is not con- fitting their conservative values as the murderer. The murderer turns out to be the most conservative of all of them. And there's a Catholic priest who is murdering these boys because he's afraid that as they become men, they will become corrupted. So it's got an interesting message that doesn't quite land as hard as it probably landed in 1972. Yeah, yeah. Next is 1972's Tales from the Crypt. I think it's Amicus's best film. This is another one we talked about yeah. on the anthology horror episode, so I don't really have that much to add to that. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I like it a lot. All right, so the next is <laughs> The Stone Tape, uh, 1972. What is this? This is uh, another uh, Nigel Neal who did uh, the Quatermass movies. This was a, a television play, basically. Uh, it's been, again, a long time since I've seen it, but it's very much in line with the style of the Quatermass stories. I know for a fact that a lot of uh, Neil uh, fans think it's better than uh, the Quatermass movies. I I think that just because I'm into the imagery of the Quatermass movies, I like them better. But it does have very interesting ideas, uh, science fiction versus superstition kind of stuff. Cool. Next is Horror Express 1972. Is this British as well? This is actually another Spanish movie pretending to be Ah, British. Um, good cast. Telly Zavallis is great in it. Um, interesting imagery, kind of dopey, but fun. It not super memorable. I I don't know. I I think it's it it has no uh, it's public domain, uh-huh. so it's been released so many times. I think that a lot of people have just seen it. I think that that's what makes it culturally significant <laughs> is that it's common. Sure, sure. Uh. There's a, I feel I feel the same way about a lot of Roger Corman's movies. Yeah, it's it's in yeah it's like that. Uh, frogs, nineteen seventy two is next. This is a monster movie about are they giant frogs? Nope, they're regular sized frogs. Um, it's not just the frogs; it's other animals are going crazy. It's it's actually a lot better made than you'd think, and it, it's it's uh, sort of has the it has envi- decent environmental s- subtext where nature might be attacking these people because of pollution. Um, it's not scary because they're just frogs. <laughs> um, but it, it tries really hard and has 
interesting scenes and there's there's a very cool kind of for the time racial subtext where it's this wealthy family that basically has this it's, I can't remember if it's a peninsula or an actual island to themselves and one of their boys has brought in ho- brought home a black girlfriend and it's a total subplot that's barely covered and but you could tell everybody's uncomfortable with the black girlfriend and in the end the black girlfriend and the uh black staff be, uh, befriend each other and kind of just leave the white people to die via frogs. What? And it's r- really uh, like under the radar kind of thing happening, but I thought that was I cool. I can get on board with that. Uh, the next is The Red Queen Kills Seven Times. You just watched that last night. Yeah, watched it before I went to bed. Uh, it's, uh, I, I didn't realize it was a giallo. It is. Um, it's It's kind of by the numbers as far as the story goes, but it's one of those Good, those giallo that the jelly that that kind of stick with you because it's a mix of uh late 60s early 70s chic with really intense gothic imagery like it will cut between the two because a lot of the story takes place in a gothic creepy castle and a lot of the story takes place out in the city where of course the main character is a fashion photographer and her husband like works as an ad man for the fashion industry and so there'll be scenes in the middle of it where it's just people taking pictures of nice clothes. Oh, wonderful. Um, the story's nice. Uh, it began, a little girl uh, steals her sister's doll and attacks it, and her grandfather stops them and tells them the story behind this really creepy painting that they probably shouldn't have it up in the house that depicts an, depicts an evil, quote, black queen murdering her sister, who they call the Red Queen. Um, and every hundred years, the Red Queen rises from the dead to kill seven people. And then we cut to years later, which because it's a Gialli, Giallo movie, they don't really tell us that they've cut to years later because it's it, it's all full of flashbacks. It's told in the most ridiculous, convoluted way. It's a pretty straightforward story. Uh, the grandfather is is killed by a red cloaked figure, and the family starts saying, "Oh my God, is it is it the curse? And what happened? Oh well, it turns out that the good sister, whose name is Kitty, as an adult, Kitty actually did kill the bad sister, whose name is Evelyn." um by accident and her uh other sister um and husband uh her other sister is named friend francesca in the english cut um and her husband help her cover up the crime and everybody just keeps saying evelyn's away in america but then they're like well maybe evelyn's killing people maybe she's not away in america but they know that evelyn's dead and it goes on and on like that lots and lots of flashbacks in the end it turns out that it's it's just the silliest ending, which I loved, was uh, the grandfather had actually adopted a uh, uh, peasant girl into the family in hopes, assuming that the good daughter, uh, Kitty, would eventually murder her and hoping that the fact that she wasn't part of their bloodline would stop the curse of the Red Queen coming back. And so it turns out that the other sister who was a blood sister is the actual evil sister. And she's been using the Red Queen myth to kill people to try to get um, grandfather's uh, uh, money, basically, when he dies. I, the inheritance. I, I, I just thought of a, of a potential series. Uh, it's like Drunk History, except it's, it's Drunk Giallo. And yeah, it would be great. It would be someone trying it's, to explain the plot of, like... the. Right after they watch The Bird with the Crystal Plumage, they try to explain the plot. Yeah. Because <laughs> it is the most convoluted thing every time. No matter how you try to describe it, it just ends up being this total mess. It's like, what is this? Why would you watch this? Yeah, it's it's insane. And there's uh, the, the murder scenes aren't particularly 
Baroque, but there's one really good one where the killer uh, is uh, is coaxing a woman out of an insane asylum and says, like, look, I put a rope bridge over the spiky wall at the insane asylum. Why don't you crawl over it? And she starts crawling over it, and then she cuts the rope bridge. And so she lands uh, under jaw first on a spike. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. All right. Um, so so the next the next several we're gonna go we're gonna go lightning round. We're gonna okay, go real okay, yeah, quick. Wait. Couple sentences. What's Cannibal Man? Uh, crazy guy uh, kills people. He's not actually a cannibal. He keep it's a Spanish movie. He keeps uh, uh, killing people, and then he has to kill someone because that person found the dead body. And there's a really interesting homoerotic subtext with a character who has seen him murder and is not turning it. All in. right. 1973. Return of the Evil Dead. This is also Tombs of the Blind Dead, right? Yeah, this is a second one, I think. Okay. Uh, honestly, the all the sequels kind of feel like the same movie, except for one of them takes place on a boat. This is not the one that takes place on a boat. <laughs> all right. The Iron Roads, 1973. This is a Jean Roland film. This is the first Jean Roland film I ever saw. Uh, it has an interesting setup of this unnamed couple uh, uh, walking into a graveyard to have sex and then getting locked inside. And you might think, oh, that's when the zombies or the vampires or something happens. But instead, it is just a giant nightmare in which they cannot escape a graveyard. Um, very dreamlike. Uh, not much happens, but uh, ultimately, I think it's a very uh, cool and effective little movie. Uh, next is Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. That's pretty much what it says on the tin. It's one of the few times that I think Hammer actually captured the uh, the youth aesthetic they were going for. Even though it takes it's a period piece, it feels very modern for the early 70s. It's it's hip. It's cool. It's it, it could be remade easily. Um, Blood for Dracula. Is this the Andy Warhol produced film? Yeah, the Andy Warhol produced one. Uh, Paul Morrissey. I prefer directed. Yeah, Morrissey and uh, Italian director uh, and and Anthony uh, Margaretti uh, kind of co-directed it. Uh, it's not as good. As, I don't like it as much as as uh, Flesh for Frankenstein because Flesh for Frankenstein is so over the top and gory and is in three D. But Blood for Dracula is is maybe the funnier of the two. And maybe the better uh, uh, Udo Kier performance. Excellent. Prophecies of Nostradamus, 1974. It is one of the films we haven't seen. It's a Japanese apocalyptic thriller um, where a a professor studying the prophecies of Nostradamus realizes the end times are coming. There's mutants. There's a zombie climax. Sounds pretty fun. Uh, 1974, Symptoms is a uh, British erotic uh, thriller. It's a lesbian psychodrama about two two women in a house. uh, Sort of... uh, Sort of isolated. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but it sounds interesting. <laughs> uh, Sh- Shivers is Cronenberg's first uh, feature film. Yeah, another one of these 70s zombie movies that isn't... It, it's about sex zombies, basically. Uh, and really, uh, it's it's roughly made, but as uh, good concepts and uh, actually has grown on me over the years. I remember not liking it the first time I saw it, and now it's probably my fifth favorite Cronenberg. It's definitely worth seeing. I think, I think this was hard to see for a while. Um, it was. And it's also, uh, the other title is They Came From With That's right. And I think it's, its reputation has grown in the past couple years. Um, next is Night of the Seagulls, another Tomb of the Blind, another Blind Dead movie. I think this is the one on the boat. Okay, so this is the one on the boat. <laughs> these think, movies yeah. are all basically uh, just these uh, resurrected Templar walking slowly towards people who are standing motionless. And it's and the first movie is actually really great, and I I maybe the sequels are better than I'm remembering. Um, at any rate, uh, strip nude for your killer is this as lurid as it sounds? It's a pretty lurid. It's it's a, it's one of the later Giallo movies. Sergio Martino, who did maybe even more than than Argento or Fulci, uh, 
the killer wears a motorcycle outfit, um, and the helmet is clearly supposed to look like a penis. So there's even sub, even as he's stabbing full frontal nude women, actually it's a woman. Even it turns out to be a woman. Spoiler. Um, there's a penis stabbing people as, as if the, the, the message, the phallic message of the stabbing naked women wasn't enough. Yeah. Uh, at say, you know, uh, if you have a lily, why not gild it? Um, yes, gild the hell out of this. <laughs> Next is Day of the Locust, 1975. This is a, uh, golden age Hollywood story with Donald Sutherland, Karen Black, uh, like a sort of a, uh, I haven't, this is one neither of us have seen, but it's like a, yeah, I didn't, it was on Amazon Prime and then it left Amazon Prime in the time that I meant to go but watch it. But it's, so. I think it's sort of supposed to be like a twisted subversion of A Star is Born. Um, you know, though not as twisted as something like Inland Empire <laughs> or, or Mulholland Drive. <laughs> um, but I, from what I've read, it seems like maybe it's in the same vein, though maybe not quite as much of a horror movie. Um, anyway, worth checking out. The Witch Who Came From the Sea, a notorious video nasty. Genuinely genuinely disturbing upsetting movie about a insane woman uh uh who is murdering like it it's 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 really hard to describe it's it's uh really bizarre it's sometimes actually a bad movie and kind of seems like a made for tv soap opera but then will totally switch gears and be really terrifying like not scary but like like under your skin kind of creepy shit like it's you can see why it was banned when it was banned it's it's so this is one of the ones where you kind of see it <laughs> unlike yeah. uh, one of the very few unlike something like texas yeah. chainsaw massacre where you, yeah um next is eaten a lot speaking of texas chainsaw massacre next is eaten alive 1976 to- toby hooper film um I, I i tried watching this about a month ago and the first 10 minutes of it are just a, a single woman constantly getting sexually assaulted or the threat of sexual assault is looming over her. And I was, I just sort of checked out and I tuned it off after. Yeah. It starts that way. And a part of me thinks that was supposed to be a comment on this stuff, but I don't know. It's, it's so bizarre and, and uneven, but really gorgeously shot. And the main, the villain is a really intense performance. Uh, it almost looks like an Argento movie. It, some of the scenes are so colorful. Really? Um, it got a really good Blu-ray release from Arrow Video just recently. That it was a US and UK release. Um, it's it's difficult to like, but easy to admire. I think is the way to put sure. it. Sure. Um, next, 1976, Roman Polanski's The Tenant, starring Roman Polanski himself. This is kind of a wackier as Roman Polanski, wackier Roman, <laughs> basically film. Right? <laughs> he stars as himself. Not really, but sort okay. of. Like, he's not actually called Roman Polanski, but you kind of feel like he's just playing himself. Sure. I don't remember a lot about it, uh, honestly, uh, except for he finds a tooth in the wall at some point, and that's just really upsetting to move into an apartment and find a tooth in the wall. I mean, we've all been there. Like, I agree. It yeah. Is, it's upsetting. <laughs> uh, you know, our uh, our uh, our uh, our doors uh, don't lock and, and don't lock well, and there's a tooth in the wall, and they're both... You know, we got a maintenance guy to take. He he removed the tooth and uh, put the good. We we good. put it under our pillow. We got a dollar. It was all right, but um, <laughs> yeah. So the tenant, we I believe that was talked about it in the Roman Polanski episode. Um, next is okay. the Sing- Signalman, nineteen seventy six. Now this is part of the uh, M R James sort of tradition of the BBC, where they uh, M R James was a, a a short story writer from Britain who would gather his friends around and they would tell ghost stories on Christmas or around Christmas time, and so the BBC. 
I think every year or most years they will have a sort of a spooky ghost story on the air, usually an adaptation of an M.R. James story, but this one is a Dickens adaptation. Uh, the signalman in question is a man who works at the train tracks and he keeps getting these, uh, these sort of warnings from a mysterious figure that terrible things will happen and then they happen. Uh, I haven't seen it, um, but yeah, I, mean, I, I do like that tradition. Um, and I, so, and because it's a TV movie, it's probably somewhere on YouTube. Um, next is Shock 1977. This is the the Bava film, right? This is yes, like I believe Mar- Mario sure Bava. Right. Well, I, this came out before The Shining, but this is it's sort of like a haunted house movie. Yeah, um, and it's it's a good it's 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 an int- it's probably his most mature movie from the aspect of character that it's about a woman breaking down. Basically, it's it's a companion piece to Repulsion, I'd say. Okay, I, I didn't get that out of it last time I saw it, but it's been a bit. Yeah. I remember mostly being uh, charmed by the special effects. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a good looking movie too. Mm-hmm. Next, uh, nineteen seventy seven, Shockwaves, uh, another uh, post Night of the Living Dead, pre Dawn of the Dead zombie movie. I think this one is quite dull, but uh, it does have an interesting sort of vibe to it. Um, these are Aqua Nazi zombies that strangle their victims. Uh, yeah. I thought it was dull the first time I saw it. I watched it again recently. It's one of many movies on this list that just got a Blu-ray release within the last mm-hmm. year. And for some reason, the second time it stuck with me, I think it's really just the images of these slow-motion, goggled zombies like was enough for me. I don't know yeah. why. And the and the and it's got a really good minimalist electronic score. Um, yeah. I, I'm, I might be seeing this at the, at the Music Box of Horrors um, on Saturday. Uh, in on in in thirty five millimeter, but then again, that might also be the time that we decide to go get lunch <laughs> <laughs> because I just saw this recently and I'm not a fan. Uh, next, speaking of uh post post seventy zombies, yeah, yeah. Speaking of seventy <laughs> zombies, is uh, David Cronenberg's Rabbit, which we mentioned. One of the things I really like about this movie is it has a really good sense of scale of the epidemic spreading. Yeah, yeah. It has the money that, that um, it's got. Didn't some have. it's got. Yeah, and it's and it's also it's got this other sort of thing where this ongoing story with Marilyn Chambers and this thing growing inside of her. Um it's a, it's an odd movie. Yeah. Um next is Curse of the God Dog, which neither of us have seen, but it's a Japanese horror movie from 1977. Uh it's about a god dog monster who's let loose from a uranium mine and starts killing people and uh, it's not hard to see where a Japanese horror movie where a monster is let loose from a uranium mine. Not hard to see where the subtext is coming from there. Um, yeah. Sounds interesting. I, I want to see it. I definitely want to see it. It sounds very good. Uh, next is well, Apocalypse Now from 1979. Now, this one is probably of everything on the list. This is the one where I'm just going to say, eh, that's bullshit. This isn't a horror movie. Um, it has horrifying things happen. Yes, the way that like most uh, modern war films do. Yeah. But and it it's got kind of a otherworldliness to some of the scenes I yeah, guess. Yeah, it's it's definitely surreal. Um yeah. but it, it just it's not a horror movie. <laughs> I don't I yeah. don't feel. I wouldn't put it on no, I wouldn't. Uh, um either. but the next one is definitely a horror movie. 1979's Taurus Trap. You tell me about this. Yeah, this is a, this is a really uh, this is this is another one where this is where slasher movies could have gone. I think I think it was made in response to Halloween. Uh it's it's another one. It's been a while since I've seen, but it is uh, it's another one that's reputation is growing. That's kind of become 
more than just a cult classic, and it, it probably should have a better release than it does. Um, and you could see uh, that Rob Zombie definitely liked it. He's he's got parts of it in throughout all his movies. It's also it's also Texas Chainsaw Massacre inspired. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, yep. Next, nineteen seventy nine. The the, the oh, by, by the way, the, the thing that I always remember about Taurus Trap is just the creepy mannequins. Like that movie to me yeah. is just the creepy mannequin movie. I forget that there are like slasher elements and stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's 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 er, it's again, it's before Friday Thirteenth set set the new standard for for what you expect out of a slasher movie. Right. Um, next, nineteen seventy nine, Fascination. This is a Jean Roland movie. Is this as weird and dreamy and almost eventless <laughs> as Iron Rose? It's a little more straight. Like it, it's it's him eating into some of the slasher motifs. Uh, it's most famous for the uh, a uh, was a scythe murder. Uh, but yeah, it's weird and dreamy, and and it does sort of blend into the other Jean Roland movies. Um, it's I'm probably one of his most liked ones. I, I I don't know where I would put it on my list. It's good. It it it's decent. Is the better word? Sure. Um, next, When a Stranger Calls, 1979. Um, I haven't seen this, but my, my understanding is that the, the, the parts of this that are most famous and well-known are only the opening act of it. Yeah. Yeah, then it just kind of becomes a kind of made-for-TV movie. But the opening act is very, very scary. Uh, Carol Kane has, has great big eyes, so yep. it's not hard to see how she would be a really good um, sort of tormented victim in a horror movie. Um, oh boy, I think I just, uh, screwed something up. There we go. All right. Next is Vengeance is Mine, 1979. Neither of us has seen it, but it's a Japanese serial killer movie, by all accounts quite disturbing, um, based on true events of a, of a real life, uh, serial killer in Japan. Um, it has a good Criterion release. I just didn't get a chance to watch this one. Um, I meant to. Next is Dress to Kill, 1980. We're into the 80s now with, uh, Brian De Palma's sort of... I don't know, infamous to me, but I think this is actually a very well-liked movie. Um, yeah. It's sort of slasher it's movie, stylish. sort of psycho spin-off. Yeah. Um it's not one of my favorites of the Palmas movies. I I I feel like I'm out of step as far as that. I think it is definitely a fan favorite. Uh I yeah, I for this sort of thing, I I would rather go to Body Double anytime. Um I I for me it's below uh Blowout. Yeah, Blowout's very good too, but the, I would say that Dr- Dress to Kill and Body Double always seem linked to me because they have those slasher elements, whereas Blowout is more of a straight-ahead thriller. And very obvious Hitchcock uh, oh, elements too. yeah, certainly. Yeah. Um, this one being Psycho and Body Double being uh, uh, Rear Window. Right. Um, next is Cannibal Holocaust, 1980. The infamous, uh, I think, it, in, on top of being shocking... Um, and disturbing. It's genuinely well made and interesting, and has yeah, and it has things to say. It's too good to be ignored. Unlike most of the movies in the cannibal subgenre, which are either really offensively racist, bloody, uh, but sometimes entertaining adventure movies, or as at towards the end, just gore for gore's sake. Also offensively racist. This is the one that. Is it again? It's too good to be ignored. It's too well made. Uh, it's it's a movie that I I've always wanted to 
say I was better than Cannibal Holocaust. I don't need to, but it's every time I see it, I realize it's fabulous. Yeah, it it uh, you can resist it, but it works. Um, yeah. Next is Virus from 1980. Uh, what is this? This is a this was a, a Kenju uh, uh, Fukasaku uh, who eventually did a he did a lot of mobs uh, yakuza movies and he eventually did the first battle royale. Um, this was the at the time biggest budget movie in Japanese history. It's about a vi- viral outbreak. I don't remember a lot about it. It's pretty generic. Um, it might be better than I'm remembering, but. It's hard to find, too. It's not very readily available, even though it was this huge blockbuster at the time. Hey, Gabe? Yeah. Uh, Hold on just a moment. Okay. Hey, Regina. Are you on the internet? Um, No. Okay. The the internet just, it started, I didn't know if you... Okay. Sorry. Um, sorry. Uh, no problem. So, are you? Is that is that virus? Yeah, we're done. Right, cool. Next is 1980, Night of the Hunted, a Jean Roland film. Yeah. Uh, this is a higher concept uh, than some of the other ones. It's uh, about a town that lost their memories due to environmental accidents, and they uh, a lot of people are confined to a hospital where they just do crazy, murderous stuff to each other. It's a little more mainstream than some of his other movies. Uh, not as memorable. Oh, okay. Now, but you do like Christmas Evil quite a bit. I really like so Christmas Evil. So tell me Evil. about Christmas I had, Evil. I had put off Christmas Evil because it sounded dumb, but it's about a guy who is obsessed with how pu- the purity and niceness of Christmas who um, tries to go around uh, bringing joy to children and ends up on a sort of semi-accidental murder spree. Um, <laughs> it's and it's it's actually sort of touching almost. There's like a, a bit where um, he, he begins by killing his brother pseudo accidentally. Um, I think it's his brother. I uh, I might be having that wrong. But there's a scene where he goes to a church and uh, some you know uh, basically young yuppies start making fun of him and he loses it and stabs them all to death. Um, and then there's another good scene where uh, the, the news has gotten out that there's a killer in a Santa Claus outfit um, and there's a mob following him. And there's a part where they're they're going to get him and children surround him as a human shield and say, no, this is Santa Claus. <laughs> um, and it ends with a pretty famous bit where he uh, drives his he's painted his van to look like uh, Santa's sleigh and he drives it off a bridge and if you listen closely to the soundtrack, you hear it crash. But in the context, in the context of his mind, it flies away into the night, and he and that's the end of the movie. Like his <laughs> van becomes Santa's sleigh. That sounds really good. I thought it, it was just really another good. dopey Christmas slasher. Me too, me too. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 good. It's fun. It's very low budget, but I liked it a lot. So the next from 1980, The Writhing Tongue. Neither of us have seen, but it's a Jap- another Japanese film. Uh, about a little girl who gets an infected cut um, and that spreads to her family and 
there's uh, a doctor who thinks that she's possessed or something, and basically just things go from bad to worse inside that household. Sounds interesting. Uh, next is The Fun House, 1981. Uh, I really like the first, maybe a little past the first act. Like, everything before they actually go inside The Fun House, I think has a really cool, scuzzy atmosphere that captures both what's both the... You know, oh, look, spinning, flashing lights and decorations and stuff, but also just the cheapness of carnivals. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that aesthetic is is the thing about carnivals that are actually scary. But most most carnivals in horror movies are art directed to all hell. Um, mm-hmm. So they end up being looking way more opulent and way more nice than actual carnivals look and they end up being less scary. Um, or they try to like just go for a more surreal, nightmarish version of a carnival, as opposed to the things that actually make carnivals <clears throat> kind of weird and creepy. Once they get inside right. the fun house, I think I think the movie just falls apart, and I think it's boring. And yeah, from my point of view, I only remember stuff really from the beginning and the end. So mm-hmm. I think maybe you might be right because I can't even remember what happens in the fun house. Correct? Yeah, the but they part. do they do talk about it on the Toby Hooper episode that just came out recently. Yeah, so go ahead, listen to. Jim and Daniel Baldwin talking about that. Next is My Bloody Valentine, 1981. I had this on in the background uh, a couple days ago while I was doing some work. Um, fun Canadian slasher movie. Uh, it was not one of the better ones until the unrated cut came out, and the extra gore really does make the difference in this case. Yeah. It went from one I you know, when it was when it was cut for the R rating and all the major violence was cut, it's kind of a boring melodrama. But with all that violence back in, I, I it it's one of my favorite of the '80s slashers, probably. Yeah, I really I really enjoy the uh, the the folk song at the end, detailing the story. Yes, that too. <laughs> um, yes. Later in the '80s, and like around '88, '89, you would start hearing rap songs that describe the plot over the credits. But yeah. this one in '81 had a folk song over the plot um, I, that yeah. I enjoyed. Next one is Graduation Day, a a slasher that has kind of crazy psychedelic editing that I think is just yes. masking the fact that they didn't get the right coverage or they didn't have transitions between or it, scenes. Or it was too short. I, I also suspect that it, it came in under only 60 minutes or something. Yeah, that makes sense too. Because um, they reuse a lot of footage and, and the ending, there's a song that just keeps looping. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if this was produced by Troma or just picked up by Troma later. It just picked up. Just picked but, up. Um, Okay, yeah, it's just picked up. It's but it is definitely trashy and low budget and just it's kind of shoddy, but every about 10 minutes, every 10 minutes something crazy happens that sort of perks it back up. Um it manages to be completely silly without being campy, which you know, not all slasher movies can say. Uh it it's yeah. not one of my favorites, but it's uh it's it's pretty fun. Yeah. Next is uh, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Miss Osborne. I feel like I only heard about this in the past two months. Yep, it, it is another, uh, like I said, there's a lot of movies on this list that just got Blu-ray releases and had been pretty obscure until then. I don't know how to say the director's name. Everybody just calls him Boro. It's Boro Jorsk. Uh, it's, I can't do Polish. Um, anyway, I had never watched any of his films before. Um, so this was my first one and I really liked it a lot. It's, um, really obvious cultural metaphor, you know, like, oh, look at these bougie assholes and what they do. Um, it's out of time. It looks like it could be taking place in either the eighties or 
the uh, Victorian era. Um, Udo Kier plays a, uh, a version of uh, Dr. Jekyll who turns into a sex maniac with a giant penis and, and basically sexes people to death, men and women. Uh, and it's a totally different actor. He, like, he turns into a different actor, which is honestly kind of creepy. And he has to do it by going in a bathtub of chemicals and bathing himself instead of injecting something. <laughs> um, it's all about sex and, uh, it's shot. It looks like it's been shot through gel. Like someone just put jam over the, the lens. The whole movie is just foggy as shit. And it starts to really grow on you. I really liked it. That's interesting. Next is the burning. This is one of those slasher movies that I'm saving for myself. Um, it's maybe it, it's top three. I'd say from that era, uh, Tom Savini gore. Yeah. Yeah. Another one where the, the uncut version finally got released and it made a difference. Oh, did it? Okay. Is that, was that a recent? It's the DVD. So not that recent. Okay. Cause yeah, we have the, I think the first DVD release. Yeah. Yeah. That's uncut. Okay, then. cool. I'll have to check that out then. Next also from 1981 roar, very notorious movie had a, Bunch of midnight screenings all over because Draft House re-released it. Um, Tippy Hendren from The Birds uh, and a thousand untrained and like dangerous wild animals, basically. Uh, yeah, it was a movie I've known about because I watched her. Uh, I it, like I think it was Lifetime, not Lifetime, uh, uh, Bio Channel documentary, like her sixty-minute bio, and a good thirty minutes of it was devoted to the making of Roar. And it was – it sounds like it might be a movie that's more fascinating behind the scenes than actual – Right, yeah. The screen. Everything I've heard about the movie is always coupled with you know, information about how dangerous it was and how completely reckless everything was. It took 11 years to make. Um, yeah. But uh, not – broke up the whole family. Yeah, not – she wrote a book about the experience. Uh, not surprising to uh, see it come up on the list then. Um, next is Slumber Party Massacre, 1982. Another one of the best slasher movies. Very clever, very uh, smart. Kind of, it, it works at odds against itself. I, I feel because the writer and the directors were different people. Um, but I, yeah. So it it it's hard to call it a feminist slasher film, but it definitely has those uh, flavors to it, especially in certain scenes. I've heard that the I think the producer was Corman actually added some of the more violent stuff that makes it less feminist. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true though, but it, it's on the verge of being a feminist slasher movie. And it is it has that thing the same thing sort of prom night has that it's kind of soft focus and it uh, lends an almost dreamy quality. Not like a Jean Roland level, but like it's a right. little <laughs> bit dreamy just because everything feels shot a little soft. Mm hmm. Uh, next is Q the Winged Serpent, 1982. We talked about this in the uh, Larry Cohen episode. Very fun, funny monster movie slash cult movie. Uh, kind of everything just ties into the fact that uh, – oh, shit. What is the name of that actor? Michael Moriarty. Uh, Michael Moriarty. Yeah, everything ties yeah. back into his performance, which is – you. I want to say like Un – Unhinged. I, yeah, but – like, I want to say Nicolas Cage-like, but it's not Nicolas Cage-like in that everything is always dialed up to 11 – it's Nicolas no. Cage like in that it's utterly unpredictable and you do, and no matter what is he's given on the script you don't know how he's going to approach it. Um you almost get the feeling he didn't wasn't given dialogue. He was given a story outline and told to do what he wanted. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like there's some scenes where he is like crazy over the top and there's some scenes where he's almost like in a trance 
And it it yeah. doesn't seem to follow any kind of logic, but it's hell of an entertaining movie with some very admirably uh, cheesy special effects. I I also like Carradine in it a lot too. He's got a couple funny bits, David Carradine. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's probably my favorite of all of. Uh, well, mm, it might have moved down the list. I think we'll talk about my new favorite soon. Yeah, actually. Yeah, I I, I think we will talk about my favorite uh, in the same breath. Uh, next is Tenebrae, uh, nineteen eighty two. This is Argento. I don't think I've seen this one. This one is super eighties. It's basically like it, it's competing with uh, Michael Mann for eightiesness. It's a uh, electric uh, electric giallo, maybe is how you put it. Um, fan favorite. It's not quite as high on my list. It's got some great kills. Um, pretty good performances. Uh, it it turns the genre on its head by actually breaking the rules and having the killer uh, get killed and someone else pick up his crimes, so that it's not really possible who guess who the killer is because there are two. Um, it's pretty clever and it, and it's aesthetically nice. It, it's got this this electronic soundtrack that's credited to Goblin, but I believe it's actually just three of them uh it's got that wah 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 when we saw goblin they played yeah it, he had the yeah that's the theme song yeah all right so we're gonna go through the rest of the 80s super quick yeah next is the beast within 1982 what is this uh this is a pretty bland uh werewolf thing where he turns into a giant cicada it's basically uh the last Whatever minutes when he turns into Cicada is the only part I really like. Uh, Joe Bob Briggs has a really good review of that. Uh, next is The Incubus, 1982. And this, I believe, is the one with uh, uh, Cassavetes in it. Um, uh, pretty pretty kind of generic, but really well made and has some really good stuff. And, and surprisingly violent for what it is. Uh, uh, supernatural horror movie. All right. Next is 1982's uh, The Sender. A shockingly good-looking movie. About a boy who shows up in a mental institution. Every time he he uh, falls asleep, his dreams come to life. Um, he usually has nightmares. Uh, carnage ensues. It almost feels like a, a weird sub-branch of Nightmare on Elm Street, though it happened before Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, not pretty, pretty dull, but very good looking. Uh, after that, there is a Czech film uh, from 1982 called Fair Out Vampire. It's about a nurse turned stock car racer who may or may not fuel her car with blood. So, yeah, I tried actually to download this uh, perfectly legally, I assure you, uh, several times. And every time the subtitles wouldn't work, so I gave up. But it sounds awesome. Yeah, it sounds pretty fun. Uh, next is The Deadly Spawn, 1983. Wonderful special effects, monster movie, aliens in the basement. No one believes the kid. Um, just It's good. It, it it's, it's entertaining. It's among the best of its kind, I would say. Yes, exactly. If you if you want something like that this season, that's what you got to watch. And you haven't seen it before, definitely go for it. Next is Cujo, nineteen eighty three, really well shot. Uh, yeah, movie. Um, some really scary parts and really good performances. Yeah, uh, not one of my favorites, but yeah, it's it's good. Good looking. Okay, I do I do believe you should talk about uh, fear. No, no, no. I'm sorry. The one that we should talk about got a lot of votes, so we'll be talking about that next episode. Uh, fear angst. Which one is from nineteen eighty three? What is this? Which is another one that just came out on Blu-ray that I had never seen that is fantastic and is, is another one of my new favorites. It's it's Bare Bones uh, Home Invasion. Uh, in fact, the original cut, which is shorter, literally just follows a guy out of jail 
and he goes on the street and immediately plans another home invasion murder. And it's uh, uh, amazing camera work that I couldn't even figure out how they did it, where the camera is basically attached to him. And I couldn't without like modern digital rigs. And it turned out they use mirrors. They attach the camera to him along with mirrors. So all the shots are actually reversed. Oh, fascinating. It's, so it's, it's like as if, as if we are a fly that is on this guy attached to him by like a string and we're zipping around him as he's frantically running around a house um, trying to murder people. Nothing goes right in his plan. Uh, he's narrating the whole thing and his narration is untrustworthy. Uh, really, yeah, but cut to the bone, great movie that people should probably seek out. It is very disturbing though. Uh, it's not nearly as graphically violent as yeah, on a modern level. But it's still pretty disturbing. All right, next of unknown origin, nineteen eighty three, Peter Weller movie. What's this? Uh, it's uh, Peter Weller versus a rat. Uh, pretty forgettable, even though that sounds fascinating. Is it a big rat? Uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> okay, it, it's yeah. I don't know. Psycho two. Uh, uh, someone lets Norman Bates out of a mental hospital, and a slasher movie happens. It's not. It's actually great. It's a really Is great it? movie. R- really interesting stuff going on. It's it's about people trying to make him be Norman Bates again, uh, be a killer. Oh, and it has a great twist at the end that I'm that I assume is canon because I think these are canon uh, as far as the Psycho series goes. I very much recommend it if you haven't seen Excellent. it. Excellent. So next is Eyes of Fire, 1983. It's an American film in which early settlers are run out of a town and they land up end up in a forest haunted by Native American spirits. Neither of us have seen it. Sounds good. Uh, Body Double, we kind of already talked about. Uh, yeah. Uh, next. I like the drill scene. The drill scene freaks me out every time. Yep. Uh, really good stuff. Drill scene's very good. Uh, Children of the Corn, 1984. Uh, I think this is one of the lesser Stephen King adaptations. There's. I don't like it. I don't like it. It's it's boring. There's a few good moments. Really cool concept. Yeah, good, real good concept. Good concept. Not good movie. Like two good scenes. <laughs> Night yeah. of the Comet, 1984. It's kind of like a, a wacky zombie movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a hip zombie movie about a zombie apocalypse, like told from the point of view of Valley Girls. Um, it's charming. I don't like it quite as much as its cult of fans do, but it's definitely worthy of a cult of fans. All right. Next is Life Force, Toby Hooper's film, 1985. Uh, Jim. Uh, Jim and Daniel Baldwin talked about this on that episode. Um, mostly I mentioned known it like for twice its, now already. Yeah, mostly known for its nudity. Um, next is yeah. <laughs> Once, Once Bitten, 1985. This is the Jim Carrey vampire movie of the 80s, not to be confused with Vampire's Kiss, the Nicolas Cage vampire movie in the 80s. Uh, this is more of a comedy, right? Yeah, it's basically sh- straight comedy. Like, I wouldn't. I wouldn't even say it was anything but a comedy. Sure. Next is 1985 Static. This is Mark Romanek, uh, most famous for directing music videos, but also uh, One Hour Photo and uh, Never Let Me Go. He, this is his first feature film about a man who works in a crucifix factory, builds a machine he claims can show heaven, but all anyone can see is static. Uh, sounds interesting and surreal. Doesn't quite sound like a horror movie, but I don't know. I haven't seen it. Next is Little Shop of Horrors, 1986. Very fun uh, monster movie musical. Um, mm-hmm. Good good for the season. Not scary at all, but... No. From Beyond, 1986. This is sort of the follow-up to Reanimator. Um, yeah, Jim and I talked about this extensively. Oh, that's right, because you just did. I haven't finished that episode, so I haven't gotten to the this part of the Stuart Gordon episode. So we can skip that and go to Crawl Space, um, in which case... Uh, which is a, a film about a, a landlord played uh, by... Oh, shit, what's his name? 
Klaus Kinski. Klaus Kinski, who, who, who crawls in the walls and spies on his female tenants, and he is a Nazi. Yeah, um, it's well made. It's 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 really really seedy. I yeah, like it a lot. Yeah, it's seedy, uh, and there's a good documentary that it it's sort yes. a brief documentary called "Please Someone Please Kill Mr. Kinski" or "Please Kill Mr. Kinski" or something about how what a terror it was to work with Klaus Kinski on that set. Um, next is Psycho Three. Do you like this as much as Psycho Two, Gabe? Yeah, and not as much as Psycho Two because it doesn't have the story. It's kind of a regressive as far as narrative goes. But it's very well directed by Perkins himself. Uh, it's much more '80s than Psycho Two. It's got it's got a sort of electric neon vibe going, and it's got some really good uh, suspense scenes where shit is going wrong for Norman, and we don't want it to, even though he's murdered people. All right. Next is Gothic, nineteen eighty six. What is this? This is uh, this is uh, probably the least interesting uh, Ken Russell movie ever made. <laughs> uh, it's uh, the idea that the, the, the famous story of the uh, gathering in which uh, Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, and I can't remember who else is at that gathering, but three famous authors, and the idea that during their gathering, um, all sorts of supernatural shit goes on. Uh, I don't remember enjoying it very much. Next is Trick or Treat from 1986. This is a, a kind of fun uh, heavy metal horror movie about a, a heavy metal kid whose uh, who's idol dies and he gets the idol's uh, demo record. And when he plays the demo record, it summons the idol, uh, it summons this rock god sort of demon um, and it sort of empowers him. It's almost Carrie. Uh, it's a little goofy. It's got kind of a low body count. Um it's but it's uh, it's pretty fun, uh, and points for summoning Satan via backmass lyrics. Um, mm-hmm. uh, next is Opera Dario Argento's film from nineteen eighty seven. This is my personal favorite Dario Argento movie. I think it just moves a little better than uh, Suspiria, even though I think Suspiria is probably the better film. I I prefer watching yeah. Opera. I the, the the gunshot through the keyhole is just mind blowing to me. It's also the most predictable. Uh, murder mystery of all of his murder mysteries <laughs> yeah. which almost makes it easier to deal with because you pretty much know who the killer is from the beginning even though there's still quote-unquote mystery to it mm-hmm. i think that's part of why it flows so well for people who aren't predisposed to the silly convolutions yeah exactly movies. to someone who isn't who doesn't like giallo um yeah next is blood i Diner think yeah 19... it's a giallo for people who don't like him yeah Sorry. yeah no problem next is blood diner 1987 um, this is a very, very goofy uh, semi-remake of Blood Feast, which we talked about last year. It's goof. This is weird. I don't like it so much. It's a little too silly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, 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 it's all right. But uh, it's, it's, it's certainly violent and lurid, so um, it's, it's, it's goofy. Uh, Creepshow 2, 1987, uh, follow-up to Creepshow, not nearly as good as Creepshow, uh, no, I don't think there is even one really good saying. A lot of people like the the raft, but I don't think that one is even that good. I think the Hitch Hitchhiker one is at least funny. Uh, um, but it goes on too long. Yeah, they all go on a little too long. It feels like they should really be five minute episodes. Right. Well, yeah, it feels like they <laughs> they have the same amount of story as the as the stories in Creepshow two, but or in the Creepshow one. But Creepshow one had five stories, and this one has three. Yeah. Um. So yeah. they just kind of feel spread out and thin. Next is in a glass cage. What is this? I actually talked about this during the Argento one. I had it had come out on Blu-ray at the time, and I had never seen it. It's the one. It's about a Nazi uh, war criminal that goes into hiding, 
uh, who is a also a pedophile, and one of his former victims finds him, and he is at the point where he is stuck in an iron lung, and the former victim becomes a uh, um, uh, caretaker, basically, and sort of tortures him, but is also sort of like because of the young uh, sexual assault at a young age has messed him up enough that there's sort of a love story going on. And then at the same time, the guy lives in this giant mansion. So there's a whole kind of slasher movie going on in the peripherals where he is also killing people in the house. It's sounds almost it's like a, a horror version of the night Porter. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. It's, it's, it's always, it makes those most disturbing movies lists. a lot. Sure. It's it's worth seeking out. Uh, next is the Monster Squad, nineteen eighty seven. I haven't seen this because I have a long standing rule not to believe anyone's taste in kids movies from the eighties when they were a kid in the eighties. Um, so I don't know if this is actually good or not. Yeah, it's better than Goonies. I'll say that. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Um, it's it, it's charming enough. I actually liked it more the second time I saw it when I had finally separated myself from the idea of it being gross Goonies movie like yeah. <laughs> when I let that go and and the whole werewolf has nards thing is super obnoxious and people think it's hilarious and I don't think it's funny but it's only one thing in a very long movie yeah um next is Angel Heart 1987 um is this the De Niro film yeah it's it's De Niro and and probably career best Mickey Rourke um and really great movie uh that I can't believe isn't a bigger uh, like I, I honestly think it it should be on those those like best movies of the eighties lists. Like it's it's great and has a really cool twist and really well shot and and is definitely recommended. Yeah, I'm surprised it didn't get more votes because I know it has a following. Um, next is the Believers, 1987. What is this? This is a cult uh, cult of Satan worshippers messing up people's lives. Uh, pretty generic, never been a big fan of it, but there is one really outstanding scene where a woman has uh, egg, uh, uh, spider eggs hatch out of her face. Oh, excellent. Like the uh, scary stories to tell in the dark. Yes, basically. That's the, that, yeah, the, the, the one illustration in that book that just like haunted me for the rest of my life. Um, yeah, in fact, I bet that one scene is on YouTube and then you can maybe skip the rest of the film. Yeah, maybe I'll do that then. Uh, Child's Play, 19... <laughs> oh, no, no. I skipped Splatter Farm, 1987. This is a shot-on-video splatter flick. Uh, it's made by and mostly starring teenagers. Um, very, very cheap movie. It's got some weird vibes to it. It's 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 kind of fun. I saw the first, like, 20 minutes, but it was very late, and I couldn't focus, so I did not finish it. But uh, I it of all the shot-on-video movies that I've seen, it seems like the most competent structurally where uh <laughs> yeah <laughs> it, it, it looks like crap the way they all kind of look like crap but it feels like they actually m- keep the story moving along um they had written down a script, yeah exactly if it was uh, good. yes um next is uh, but then again maybe it, i only saw the first 20 minutes so maybe it doesn't hold up but child's play 1988 i think the key thing about this movie is just the concept of being a kid and and one of your toys is trying to kill you and no one believes you. That is the scariest thing ever. Yeah. And I think that the puppetry is really good. Yeah. Good climax. I like it. I don't love it. I like it yeah. a lot. I think, I think 
I, 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 that was the thing I was most struck by when I last saw it was that I really believed that Chucky was like a character interacting with these because mm-hmm. there's a lot of him. It's not like most, mm-hmm. uh, you know, most monster movies where there's a puppet and you only see something in shadows and you see a, an arm and then you see the face. You know, he's walking around and having conversations with people, mm-hmm. um, and it's really convincing. Next is uh, 1988 William Lustig's Maniac Cop. I don't think this is as good as the sequel. Um, no, in fact, in fact, I used to like it, and then I finally saw the sequel, <laughs> and now I just want to watch the sequel instead. Yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a <laughs> cop slasher movie, um, but it's it's kind of pokey, um, kind of dull. Some good. It's got Bruce Campbell, but he's not getting to be Bruce Campbell really. Yeah, it's got it's got some good moments, but uh, it. it if you if you like the idea of Maniac Cop, then I would just say go ahead and skip to Maniac Cop too. They yeah, it's they cover basically everything that happens in the first movie in the first ten minutes of Maniac Cop. I think. Yep. To, uh, next, I mean, Maniac Cop. Too. Next is Serpent in the Rainbow from 1988. I'm excited. I'm going to be seeing this in 35 millimeter. I haven't seen this since high school, so my only memories of it are that Bill Pullman screams a lot and that <laughs> and that there's a lot of wacky special effects. Yeah, it's a movie that that almost works as a thrill a drama thriller and almost works as a horror movie and the two parts don't really seem to get along. So, it's like a lot of Wes Craven movies that way where where there's it's something great going on that doesn't quite connect in the end. Yeah. Yeah, it is I that's often how I feel about Wes Craven's films, but this is a a cult favorite. Um Yeah. Like this is actually quite like uh, People Under the Stairs which we'll be talking about later. I feel kind of the similar yeah. similar way. Uh, next is Killer Clowns from Outer Space, 1988. I think this is absolutely delightful. It's one of my favorite kind of Looney Tunes horror movies. It's a little too silly to be called a horror movie, except for the ventriloquist scene. That sort of justifies it being included. Um, and the clowns are really creepy looking. I the, I think they're the... kind of fun looking, but maybe that's just my sensibility. Um, yeah. But the, the the ventriloquist scene where the where the police captain has been killed and there's blood of on his chin forming like a little ventriloquist dummy chin and and the puppet has ripped has shoved its arm up his spine to work his mouth is like yeah that's right i forgot about that, that. scene is so creepy that and it's still got a pg-13 yep. uh, i remember that now yeah so like it's it it kind of most of the movie kind of has the same tone as something like gremlins 2 <laughs> and yeah. i would never call gremlins 2 a horror movie but that yeah. scene sort of puts it in that camp for me. Next from 1988, Sleepaway Camp 2. This is another this is sort of one of those ones I was talking about like a wacky later slasher movie. Yeah, I it's another one that just got a Blu-ray release. Um, um along with the third one. This has I feel like the first Sleepaway Camp has somehow climbed into being a legitimate like favorite among a lot of people. Um, whereas this one just has uh, kind of a small cult around it. I'm not the biggest fan, but it's it's certainly weird and no. interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's all right. Now, the next three need, neither of us have seen. They're all from 1988. There's Miracle Mile. Uh, basically, I've heard it described as after hours in L.A. with a looming apocalypse. And I've also, nothing I've heard about it says horror to me at all. So I don't know why it was included, but uh, someone put it on their list. So there it is. Um, there's Grave Robbers, a.k.a. Dead Mate. Uh, it's like a black comic horror film about a town full of necrophiles. Um, seems promising and weird. Uh, and then there's 1988's Fright Night Part 2, uh, which basically is Fright Night in College. 
<laughs> College Vampires. Um, it's got Peter Vincent comes back and everything. I haven't seen it, but there you go. Next is 1989's The Burbs. Now, I'm not a fan of this, but this is a beloved fil- Joe Dante film. And it's gained a r- lot of fans really recently. I feel like everybody kind of dismissed it until maybe the last five years or so. I haven't seen it in forever, so maybe it's better than I remember. Um, but nineteen. Um, but, but speaking of cult films, 1989's Santa Sangre from uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky. Um, you've seen this film. This is, yeah, this is a great movie um, based on a true story in part, but because it's Jodorowsky, it goes all over the place. It's like first half is uh, kind of uh, wacky uh, uh, circus life, and then it... Uh, becomes a uh uh really uh metaphysical kind of take on what a slasher movie could be if it was an art house movie uh with a lot and it's got all the Yodorsky stuff like it's all about religions and uh family and and cultural norms and all that stuff. And it is almost what I would consider a horror movie. It is, it's got enough horror elements that I, I'm comfortable calling it a horror movie. I think Yeah, it's, 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 I haven't seen any of Jodorowsky's movie. That's, that's just like, that's this whole other thing. I'm, I've just been waiting, <laughs> holding off on you. You would, I think like this one and absolutely love uh Holy mountain. I think Holy mountain would be up your alley. Awesome. So the next three also from 1989, uh, neither of us have seen. There's Succubus, which is a German fable about a, a group of men who make a large doll. It's a shape of a woman that comes to life and starts attacking them. Uh, there's uh, The Woman in Black, <laughs> a British made-for-TV ghost story. A uh, man's haunted by a woman in black that no one else seems to see. Uh, I don't. Was this the one that got remade with Daniel Radcliffe? I don't know if they have anything to do with each other, honestly. I haven't signed. I've, I haven't seen either, so I couldn't say. No, I haven't either. <laughs> and then there's Unmasked Part 25. Uh, which, uh, again, going into the late 80s uh, horror, campy horror slasher movies, this is a British slasher movie parody um, that seems really funny and interesting. I'd never heard of it before now. Um, where basically it's like a, a, a slasher movie franchise killer trying to like figure out what he's doing with his life. It's like if Jason had ennui. <laughs> is is the way I it seems to read to me. I don't know if it's any good or not, but it sounds very promising. Um, all right, I'm gonna have to pause you though because I got to use. The all right, bathroom. no problem. All right, so I'm actually gonna stop what I was recording just in case something goes all right, tragically I'm wrong. I'm recording again as well. Recording as okay. soon as I get back. And all right. all right, and with that we leave 1989 and we get into 1990. There's actually a lot of films from 1990. Yeah, uh, this year. This year. Um. First, you think of uh, our first film we're talking about is Tremors. Wonderful, wonderful monster movie. Um, just, just everything, everything you hope for. Uh, it's, it's got all, it's got great characters. It's got great special effects. It's well paced. It's fun. It's got the right mix of action and laughs. Uh, and the laughs just, are good. The laughs, yeah, perfect tone. It's yeah, really well acted. It's one of those things where you think. Of a, as a low budget uh, sort of movie, but then once you actually get like really good actors in those kind of dopey roles that are normally just bumpkins or whatever, you realize the potential for those characters. Mm-hmm. 
Um, you know, like Kevin Bacon is just all the unrealized potential that that kind of character has had in all those movies. And yeah. uh, I, I think probably an inspiration for uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Though in though in the case of Tremors, they're less ostracized from their community, but it's it's. I feel it's a very similar dynamic. Definitely. Um, next is Dark Man, Sam Raimi's uh, superhero movie. Do you think this is a horror film? Um, it is. It is part horror. It, it takes from like uh, House of Wax, and uh, it takes from horror movies. the The whole mad scientist angle um, is definitely horror movie esque. I think it is a action superhero movie that uh, it, it's it's a horror movie as much as Army of Darkness is a horror movie. Maybe is the way to put yeah. it. Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't seen this since I was 12, so I don't remember any of that. But I, for, I had completely missed the House of Wax connection. That makes more sense to me. Yeah. It definitely has – yeah, there's stuff going on that is horror-related. Um, it's, a, it's a fun movie. Yeah, it's very it's – it was uh, another one that just got released on Blu-ray, so I saw it recently. And it's actually even better than I remembered it being. Well, that's good. Um, then there's Misery, uh, also from 1990. Wonderful performance from Kathy Bates. I think this movie, it, I think his movie ultimately gets sunk because it has very kind of pedestrian direction. Yeah. Um, I think there are that scenes that could have been incredibly tense and scary that just sort of are okay. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I think it, I don't think it's as claustrophobic as it should be. Uh, yeah, I, I think just kind of Rob Reiner screwed it up, basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, there is a to an extent there is just the problem of adapting this into film, where the novel you have the internal monologue of the guy in bed, and yeah. so much of it is things that he's not saying. Um, it's very difficult to get all of that across when he's trying to act one way to her, but actually thinking another thing. Um, it's hard to get the richness of that uh, of that prose into the movie. So it was also probably just a hard adaptation to do, but I don't think it's that, I don't think it's as good as its reputation. There's apparently uh, a play going on maybe right now where Bruce Willis is in the James Conn role. Really? Yeah. I just found this out yesterday. I don't know where it's playing. I can buy it. It it definitely feels like a play. Um, there's, uh, next is Dirtotis King. It's from the director of Neck, uh, of Neck, Neck Romantic. Yeah. What is this director's name? Uh, he, uh, uh, damn. Uh, if you don't remember, that's Garrett. Boot Garrett. Okay, uh, so it's sort of a, a an anthology film. It's kind of like splatterpunk almost. Uh, it's, it's very morbid and depressing. Uh, it's, it's just sort very of... Very depressing. It's very obsessed with death. There are some sequences that just feel like they're provocations, and there are some sequences that feel like genuine expressions of depression. Um, there's a few moments in this that are utterly unbelievable. And, I mean, like any anthology film, there's also segments that I feel are kind of useless, but um, I quite enjoyed this. I'm interested in seeing Necro uh, Necromantic, though I don't know if that's going to be as good or if that's going to even be similar i just watched it for the first time i didn't like it as much as the first necromantic but it is probably the better movie on the whole there it's jorg but garrett he mates boot garrick maybe i don't know german very well um he makes art films that are also gross slash uh not slasher but exploitation movies basically Um, yeah and the thing that struck me about this was the 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 fact that the last one where she uh, hooks a 
um, camera up to herself and goes and shoots random people um, at a uh, concert was kind of disturbingly uh, modern. <laughs> yeah, that is that is. It's definitely one of the better uh, better instances of found footage in horror history. Yeah. It's very disturbing, um, and it's and it's also just rigorously real. Like it, like you see before she even starts walking around with shooting people, you see her testing out the camera and like trying the rig out. Yeah, um, and you can tell that the rig that you see in the mirror is just the rig they used, where it's like a lot of modern found footage. Yeah, it, people are supposedly shooting with their phones, but it's a, like in 1080p. Yeah, um, so it's it's yeah, it's a really cool sequence. That's one of the better ones. Um, I think the there's a sequence that with no people in it that's just a bridge, and it's just sort of talking about all the people who have jumped off the bridge to their death. Yeah, that's intense. Um, that's a really good one. I like this movie quite a bit. This was a fun rediscovery for me because I think it came out on DVD recently. It got at first Blu-ray release, and I think it might have been the first U.S. DVD release at the same time. Yeah. Um, so next is 1990's uh, It by Stephen King. This is a TV movie, so I didn't watch it because TV movies, the pacing just kills me every time. It's beloved, but boy, I watched this and The Stand not too long ago to kind of revisit them. And I don't think they're very good, but it has the advantage of uh, Tim Curry as Pennywise the Clown. That's yeah, this is <laughs> more or less the appeal of the entire movie. I, I think there might be a bigger gap between actual, um, actual like uh, artistic merit of this film versus the cultural impact of this film. Uh, yeah. I think there might be a bigger gap for this film than any other film in history. <laughs> well, it's because uh, everybody saw it because it was just on TV. They didn't even have to rent it. Right. I think that so, it got viewed without being thought about is the way to put it. So there's just like a hundred there's, – there's just like three million people in this country who are afraid of clowns solely because of it. Yes. Like that's, that's an insane sort of death charge. I don't know who, the, who directed it, but like – you got to feel pretty proud, even if even if the movie isn't very good. Like you, you made an impact. Yeah. Uh, next is 1990s Flatliners, uh, a uh, uh, Joel Schumacher film. This is about med students who are trying to see if they can put themselves right to the edge of death and come back. Is this a horror film? I haven't seen it. It's it's um, it's been again in a long time since I've seen it. It's it's like. Uh, it's a Schumacher, very Schumachery, very uh, late '80s feel to it, but it is a horror film in that things follow them back from the dead. Kind of, it, it's it's a, I don't know if it's actually rated R, but it, it's like a PG thirteen horror film. It's like a teenager horror film with sure. a high concept that's really really stylish and kind of kind of gross in the modern era. I, yeah, kind of ugly. <laughs> Um, next is People Under the Stairs, 1991. This is, I think, another Wes Craven film. Uh, when Wes Craven died recently on Letterboxd, I, everyone I followed were revisiting his films. And this seems to be one that a lot of people went back to and are sort of decrying as like a forgotten classic. I think it's way – it's just dialed up to 11 at all times. It's to work. Mm -hmm. It's just every every little bit of – like it is – it's satire of the Reagan era and of the rich and of – um, sort of, you know, uh, uh, exploitative capitalism and stuff, but everything it does in, to that effect is so over the top and just hitting you on the head to the point where 
it's like, oh, is this about the Gulf War? Because he dropped a brick down the chimney, and he goes, this must be one of those smart bricks, <laughs> like the smart bombs. Like, like he, they literally just... Yeah. It, it feels like uh, Wes Craven was a Hollywood liberal who took all of his sort of anxieties about the uh, Reagan and Bush administrations and this sort of like mushed them together into the shape of a haunted house. Um, it's it's interesting and it's fun. It's it's definitely worth seeing. But uh, personally, like the pitch of it to me, I'm not into it. Yeah, I agree. It's it, the thing that, that I found interesting watching it again was that it is um, him finally revisiting the stuff he did with Left House on the Left and, and The Hills Have Eyes, but he's finally visiting these things from the uh, lower class point of view instead of the uh, middle to upper class point of view, whereas in those movies uh, are about uh, uh, upper class, li- uh, middle class liberals being forced into violent situations, Yeah, where it, this is the the upper class people are definitely the monsters. That's a good point. That's that's interesting. Also worth noting, I watched this with Regina and Regina under, you know, Regina likes a uh, tarot um, and stuff like that, or whatever likes I'm, I'm doing a bad job explaining it. But anyway, Regina said that this is one of the better uh, instances of a Hollywood movie using tarot cards in a way that tarot cards are actually used um, mm-hmm. in the opening okay. of this film. So that's a, that's a fun little fact. I like to think that Wes Craven, the professor, did his research. Um, yeah. I don't did he did he write this one? I have to imagine he did. I think so. I'm pretty sure he did. Yeah. Um, next is nine six four Pinocchio from 1991. Neither of us have seen it. Um, it's a crazy experimental Japanese film. Uh, from what I've heard, it's in the vein of Tetsuo. Maybe I think the guy who did special effects for Tetsuo directed this. I can't recall. I think maybe actually the director of Tetsuo did this special his own special effects. So maybe I don't know, but. At any rate, sounds really interesting. Uh, if if you haven't gotten enough Tetsuo, maybe check out 964 Pinocchio. Next is The Boneyard from 1991. Uh, zombie children, they trap an unlikely group in a coroner's building. Typical zombie plot. Um, kind of a more comedic take, I believe. And this has Phyllis Diller. The <laughs> only... <laughs> I, that, that tickles me, because I, I, love, I love Phyllis Diller's stand-up, because I'm a 70-year-old man. Right. Um, and... And the only other horror thing she's done is, like, Scooby-Doo, <laughs> when she would, like, guest star in those old Scooby-Doo episodes where they would have the Harlem Globetrotters and Phyllis Diller and uh, Don Knotts or whoever. Um, so that's The Boneyard. Next is 1992 Dracula by Francis Ford Coppola. I'm not a fan of this, but do you like this? Um, it's it's basically production design, the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to describe it. It's, it's gorgeous, and to be fair, I own this, but I own the first DVD release. There was a there was a re-release with the Blu-ray that looks much better. Yeah. Um, so maybe I would maybe I'd be able to just fall into the visuals more if I saw the actual like re-release. But I have the that first. Uh, I th- I don't even think it's anamorphic DVD release. No, probably not. Um, next is Midori, uh, nineteen ninety two. What is this? All right, I watched this for the thing uh, for the podcast, and I thank whatever reader voted for it because I did not know there was a movie version of this. I have a short backstory where my father was in Chinatown in San Francisco and wanted to bring me back a present. And at the time, this is probably I'm probably 10 or or 11 at the time. And he's like, oh, I'll get him a Japanese comic and obviously did not look at it because it is um, it's it's uh, the full title in the U.S. was uh, Mr. Um, Arashi's Amazing Freak Show. And it was written by Suhiro uh, Maruo. 
Um, and it's uh, the Iroguro, erotic, grotesque genre. Uh, and it's apparently out of print, and I shouldn't have sold it, and I should still have it. But somebody sat down and made a movie of this himself. Every frame was drawn by one guy. It's animated. And so it's not very animated. He mostly just traced the comic book. Uh, so this is animated. This, yes. So this is an animated film, yeah. He mostly just traced the comic book and added some motion to it. So it's what we'd now call a motion comic. Um, and it's only about 45 minutes long. Uh, and it's based on an archetypal character of the Showa period fiction called the Tsubake, the, uh, who's a... Uh, someone who begins selling flowers on the street and is bought and forced forced to perform usually uh, uh, demeaning acts in a circus. This is apparently a a trope. <laughs> um, okay. And so this girl is bought and put in the circus, and there's just these insanely upsetting images: uh, woman eating eating snakes nude in a barrel of water. Uh, the girl discovers her ill mother is dead and that her vagina has been eaten by rats. Um, the freaks constantly gang rape her and each other. Um, use, and, and eyeball licking is a really big uh, part of their sex sequences. Um, I, I honestly don't know if they're supposed to be nightmares or real. Um, they try to turn her into a, a chicken head biting geek, but she can't do it because she just barfs. Um, she finds some puppies and there's a fire-breathing half-boy, discovers the puppies and thinks it will be funny to smash, smash them to death. And so there was a pretty famous gif on the internet of one of these puppies being smashed underfoot, and that is from this movie. And apparently the depiction of murdering animals was enough to get the movie briefly banned in, its, uh, in Japan. Um, and eventually she uh, comes across a guy who can fit his body into a bottle and has... Uh, hallucinogenic powers over people and he sort of saves her, but maybe it's just a dream and it's, it's just a nightmare. It's like 45 minute nightmare movie that I honestly don't know if I can recommend. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but it was, it was amazing that, that this, this random thing that my father had bought me when I was a child and disturbed me was made into a movie. It made uh, that alone made my day. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to, we're going to go through the rest of the nineties real quick. Uh, there's Kronos, uh, Guillermo del Toro's sort of big debut uh, featured. I don't know if this is his first feature film, but it was his first major one. I think one. it is. I think um, it, it, yeah. It's my personal favorite del Toro movie. I think he's probably gotten better as a director, but I think this ha this story has a simplicity and an elegance that yep. a lot of his films lack. Yep. Um, but uh, do you like this? I like it. Um, yeah, I like some of his other movies more, but I like it a lot. It has a cool concept at the very least. I like the yeah. idea of the bug, the the robot vampire, basically. Yeah, and the, and the vampire. va vampirism as addiction. Yeah. Um, just sort of being this tragic tale as opposed to being, you know, sexy in any way. Um, next is Interview with the Vampire, 1994. Speaking, Speaking of sexy of vampires. Sexy vampires. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'm not a big fan of any of that, that Anne Rice sensibility, so it's not really for me, but... It's also production values the movie, but better... Overall, it's it's decent. I haven't seen it in a while, but it's well acted and it's got its moments. Regina Regina says that it's really cool in that it's a it's a very queer movie because it's it is. And at a time when that wasn't cool, family. at a yeah, time when exactly. making a queer vampire movie wasn't cool. So you have to give it that. Yep. Next is Death and the Maiden, 1994. What is this? Uh, it's based on a play. I believe Roman Polanski directed the movie version. Uh, 
it's a revenge kind of story. Uh, small cast and basically one room. Uh, not a great movie, but I could see how it'd be a really good play. Next is Seven, 1995. Another film that maybe you wouldn't consider it a horror. I think it definitely qualifies, though. Yeah, it's I think, honestly, perfect. the only reason it didn't get more votes is because people would not consider it horror and yeah. not think to vote for it. Um, but it's uh, it's Seven. It's David Fincher's Seven. If you haven't seen it, you absolutely have to see it. Yeah. I don't think we have anything to add to that. Uh, Castle Freak, 1995. You probably spoke about this on the Stuart Gordon episode. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. Uh, it's probably the first Stuart Gordon movie, if you watch his movies chronologically, that I don't like. Yeah, this this movie for me is infamous just because uh, of discussion of it on the Chud podcast. Where we met on Chud on the Chud forums, and uh, on the Chud podcast, they had a pretty long, funny discussion about Castle Freak. So I have a fondness for it, even though I don't think it's any good. Um, next is La Ceremony, uh, 1995. What is this? It's another one I watched for the thing. Uh, I don't really think it's a horror movie. It is also very similar to Heavenly Creatures. It's based on a different true story about some uh, two uh, French maids that brutally murdered their employer's uh, wife and daughter in the 30s. And there was a play and a famous, pretty famous book. Um, it is uh, Claude uh, Chabrol, who I'm unfamiliar with, but apparently is a big Nouvelle Vogue. And it, it has that that French New Wave via the 90s feel that a lot of those movies have where it's it's really still and people talking and the thing that works about it is that the build-up feels pretty organic and that the uh the when the two women actually start murdering the family they are so detached from the situation that they're not thrilled by it or uh horrified by it that it's just something that happens so it's kind of you know like I can't, it's like the funny, no, cause funny games, like it, it's like funny games meets, uh, heavenly creatures, but very French new wave. And there's an interesting kind the, of sub thing where television's kind of making people evil, but they're not really mentioning that, that I kind of got out of it. And Didn't, that's the third film by, uh, Claude Chabrol as well. Yeah. Um, they're the only one that we saw. Uh, the next is The Addiction, 1995. The Abel Ferreira vampire movie, which is pretty much what you would expect from an Abel Ferreira vampire movie. Really nihilistic and dark and gritty and uh, and it's not very plot-driven. Fair enough. From Dust Till Dawn, 1996. Uh, pretty fun action movie. I don't really like any Robert Rodriguez movies. It's probably it's... my favorite Robert Rodriguez movie, actually. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, uh, it, it doesn't it doesn't grow on me as long. I, I've kind of lost interest in it. I have to admit. Yeah, there's a lot of in his movies. There's a lot of posturing that I just can't get past. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it's like the thing that made Evil Dead great is that Ash is such a dipshit that just like stumbles yeah. into being a hero. Yeah. and then from Dust Till Dawn is like, well, what if Evil Dead Ash was just every character was just Ash from the end, but Ash at the end of the movie yeah. where he's cool and badass and like, and it's completely missing the thing that made that movie charming. Yeah. Um. Anyway, thesis 1996. Uh, Spanish uh, thriller about a, a girl, a uh, woman, girl who is writing uh, a thesis on the existence or non-existence of uh, snuff movies. It's really good, underrated. I think it finally got a Blu-ray release. Uh, probably a horror movie just because it's actually scary, but would normally go under the thriller uh, 
genre. So if people are afraid of, it's not the gory mess that you would think of from a movie about snuff movies. Sure. Funny Games, 1997. This is the first Michael Haneke Funny Games, not the remake. I think this one's just a bit better. I just like the performances a little better. Though, I actually never saw the remake, so... <laughs> part, of me, part of me wonders how much that is actually the performances are better, and part of me wonders if that's just me thinking the, move, the premise works better when I'm watching it subtitled. Yeah. <laughs> um, but at any rate, it's an provoca- audience provocation about violence in which... They basically uh, – a, a, a couple of kids torture a family at a lake house, but you never see any of the violence. Um, it keeps cutting away. It's really, really interesting. Of all the Michael Haneke films, those two – his two Funny Games films, which are essentially the same movie, um, those are the ones that I connect with and find the most interesting. I'm generally not a fan of his. Uh, no. Neon Genesis Evangelion, the end of Evangelion. Now, this is the the Evangelion movie. Is this a horror movie? Uh, horrifying things definitely happen in this movie. It is an incredibly nihilistic movie. That, from my understanding, uh, the creator got all sorts of hate mail and stuff over the ending of the series, which is a series that I like a lot. Even as someone who's pretty passing, uh, uh, you know, passive as far as watching anime, but it is incredibly Japanese. So if you're not into that kind of thing, I can't imagine anyone enjoying it but apparently everybody hated the ending so they made a two-part movie ending that was kind of him saying here is this what you want to see but fuck you (laughs) okay so it's really nihilistic and terrifying in a certain way that all your favorite characters are just not making it through um so i guess it's sort of horrifying but i would actually say that the new movies they've they've they did this thing called rebuild where they're retelling this long anime series in in four movies and they've totally changed the story it's much more action and sci-fi and and like intrigue driven are uh the superior movies but not horror movies at all that's funny i I actually the thing i liked most about evangelion was all of the stupid like high school uh melodrama right (laughs) weirdly enough that was the stuff i enjoyed and the robot stuff was just like well, this has run its course. Let's fight a monster. Yeah. Um, speaking of anime, next is Perfect Blue, 1997. I can't wait to see this. I've been meaning to see this for years. And I finally and... – I saw it just last year. It's it's basically an anime giallo movie. Uh, wow. It's really good. It's really, really good, really disturbing. And uh, there's a shot in Requiem for a Dream that he actually had to pay them to use because he was afraid he would get in trouble so apparently Darren Aronofsky owns the rights to remake Perfect Blue if he wants to. That's amazing. Just so he could borrow a scene of, of Marion uh, screaming underwater in the bathtub. Next is uh, Cure, 1997. This is Kurosawa, not obviously not uh, the Kurosawa. Um, I can't remember his first name. He, he also directed Pulse, which mm-hmm. got uh, a couple votes last year. This is a – it's sort of a serial killer procedural. It's almost his version of Memories of Murder or something. Or it came out before, but I would say it's the same kind of vibe. But it also has that same kind of glancing uh, sort of storytelling where you just get bits and pieces. It's very interesting. Uh, it's pretty dark. I don't know if I'd necessarily call it a horror movie, but I'd definitely say it's worth seeing. Uh, next, Lost Highway, 1997, a David Lynch movie. I think that the first half in which uh, Bill Pullman uh, – is getting tapes in the mail of someone recording themselves breaking into his home and filming him sleeping is one of the creepiest things ever. Mm-hmm. 
And I think the second half of the movie with Balthazar Getty is like the worst, worst shit ever. It's so stupid. It's just like all of Lynch's worst tendencies. It just, it starts off really creepy and evocative and unnerving. (laughs) And then it, and then it goes wild at heart. um, And I don't care about it. So that's half a movie I love. Uh, Office Killer from 1997 is a movie neither of us have seen, but it's a slasher movie um, that employs uh, Carol Kane as 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 an employee at an office uh, who snaps and just starts killing off her coworkers. And uh, Molly Ringwald is the one who's trying to like figure out if she is the only one who suspects she's the one doing it. Sounds fun. Next, 1998 Faculty. This is the only Robert Rodriguez movie I'm really into. It, be, it doesn't seem like any of his other movies. It's like way slicker and it, it fits the dimension mold. Like yeah, all it's much more movies. of a, yeah, it's more of a Kevin Williamson movie. Yeah. Yep. Than absolutely. a, than a uh, Robert Rodriguez movie. And that's probably why I like it. Cause it feels more like scream than it does like Dawn of the dead yep. or not Dawn of the dead uh, from dust till dawn. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a fun body snatcher movie. There's, Nothing really special about it, but I like all the actors in it, and that goes a long <coughs> way. Um, then Halloween H2O, 1998. I think this is a really good-looking slasher exercise. Uh, I, I like that it's short and there's no bullshit. Um, it's, it, I don't necessarily care about the backstory about them being sister and brother and stuff, but I love Jamie Lee Curtis, and I like that the whole last part of this movie is just them... Uh, hitting all the best moments from the first two movies. And I think the ending is really good and really effective. Even as someone who doesn't care about that storyline, I really like that ending. So I always enjoy this movie, even though I don't think it's actually that good. I honestly haven't seen it since I saw it in theaters in 1998. And I didn't like it as an 18-year-old. Fair enough. I mean, you're not a fan of any of those sequels, really. Not really, no. Um, Not really. Um. But I, I, I do like as, – as just a giant fan of Scream, I do like that era of slasher. And I think this is one of the more well-directed versions of that. Um, next is Murder on D Street. Uh, neither of us have seen it, but it's a uh, 1998 Japanese murder mystery. It's based on two Ed Itogawa Rampo uh, stories sort of mashed together uh, about a murderer who's an artist. Sounds interesting. Next is Wild Zero. This movie's – insane right we have this in our cult section yeah it's fun crazy it's and it's based around a rock group that's basically like the misfits slash ramones of japan or the self-made misfits ramones of japan and them fighting space zombies space uh spaceships this scene where a guy cuts a cuts a spaceship in half i believe with his guitar um (laughs) it's almost too much like a lot of those late 90s early 2000s uh japanese horror comedies but it's probably the best of the bunch, I would say. And the music is good, act, genuinely good. I actually really like the soundtrack. <clears throat> so next we get into the 2000s. Scream 3, uh, those sequels, it was definitely diminishing returns on the Scream sequels. I still like Scream 3 because I like that it's mostly focusing on David Arquette and Courtney Cox, who are my favorite characters in the first two movies. And also the addition of Parker Posey as this insane actress who keeps making the craziest faces. I think it's a fun movie. I think the scares are poorly orchestrated. Really, I don't think, yeah. The plot I don't and think, the scares suck. Yeah, it's it's kind of unfortunate. But I, I still have fun just living in that sort of... And also the meta elements also the, are the kind of shitty are and cute. meaningless. Even, even, the, even the Silent Bob cameo is kind of cute. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, 
I like that. And then Happiness of the Katakuris, night 2001. This is a Takashi Miike movie. Is this a horror movie? Uh, it is uh, e- e- sort of. Um, it's it's a musical version of a uh, um, Korean uh, movie, uh, a black comedy about a family that opens a bed and breakfast and people keep dying and they have to keep getting rid of the bodies. And McKay makes it into a musical, and part of the appeal of it is a lot of the the actors and actresses are ex rock stars, aging rock stars from Japan. Um, it's got uh, all the action scenes are stop motion to save money. They turn into cartoon characters. Um, the music is fantastic and really eclectic. There's totally there's like a karaoke song, and there's like a group song, and there's more like standard uh, uh, Rodgers and Hammerstein stuff, and there's rock songs. It's it's really entertaining, and it might actually be my favorite Mickey film. Oh, fun! All right, we're gonna we're gonna go real quick, real quick. Jeepers, Jeepers Creepers, uh, good movie. It's all right. It's got a good uh, concept for the killer and a really uh, intense homoerotic undertones. Sure. Well, naturally, uh, <laughs> considering the director, yeah, uh, could been undertones have been much worse in his films. Yes. Uh, next, The Piano Teacher, 2001. Neither of us have seen it, but it is a Michael Haneke, sort of a provocation. Uh, Isabel Huppert, uh, about a twisted relationship between a teacher and a student. Uh, sounds really interesting. I wanted to see it. I was just, I never got in the mood for it. I'm almost never in the mood for Haneke, but that's one of the ones I actually do think I would like. Dog Soldiers, I've never been a fan of. Neil Marshall, 2002. Uh, Soldiers versus Werewolves. It's... It's okay. Um, I liked it more before I watched it again recently. Uh, second time yeah. watching it was not as big a fan. <clears throat> it's got kind of a cult uh, cult following around it. but It's a cool idea, and it came out at a time when there weren't a lot of movies like that. Fair enough. Bubba Hotep, 2002. Uh, L- uh, insane Old Man Who Thinks He's Elvis uh, plus Insane Old Man Who Thinks He's JFK fights zombie at a nursing home. Really fun premise. Uh, Coscarelli having a blast. Um, yeah. Another one that grows on me. Another one I like more on second and third viewings. Yeah, like it's 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 one of the few ready-made cult films that actually works. Yes, uh, it, it it feels like a joke concept, but it actually works, and it has gotten a cult following due to how good it is. In addition to its crazy premise, uh, Ring two thousand two, the remake of Ringu, um, kind of a dull movie in my opinion. Good looking. I, it's very good looking. It feels like Gore Verbinski is trying to do a David Fincher thing. Yeah, Verbinski um, makes a lot of very good-looking, not-good movies. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, there's there's very effective moments. I thought it was very scary when I first saw it, but yeah. uh, last time I rewatched it, not so much. Then uh, we go on to Ju-On! The Grudge, the uh, the Japanese original, not the American remake. Um, it's a J-horror film. Yeah, it's pretty generic. It's got um, it's got some kind of grimy appeal to it. Uh, it's it's all right. I'm not a I'm not really into a lot of those J-horror ghost films, I have to admit. Yeah, same. Uh, Blade 2, Guillermo del Toro, 2002. This is like an action horror film. Yeah. I've not seen this. It's got a lot of horror elements. It's definitely an action horror movie. Um, And it's very charming. It's got some terrible digital effects that have actually become kind of cute as as the years have gone on. And and, uh, it's the best of the Blade movies. It's the only one I've ever really revisited. Yeah. it's it's a lot of fun and it's got a lot of stuff that he totally basically the the whole of the strain is Blade Two Part Two without Blade. Um, oh. he he was clearly obsessed with these ideas. Sure. Uh, next is Wrong Turn, two thousand three. Uh, Hillbilly. It's, 
per- perfectly acceptable hillbilly killers. Um, the sequel is better. The other sequels suck. I've seen uh, three, four, and five. I think I have not seen the latest one. I don't. But wrong turn. To. But wrong turn two is good. Is very yeah. Wrong turn two is a blast, All especially right. the unrated then, cut. Jew on the Grudge two. This is the sequel to the original Japanese film. Uh, it's about a television crew that's cursed after filming in a haunted house. All right, it's a J horror movie. I'm mm-hmm. sure that's some people's bag. Uh, Dead Man's Shoes, a sort of supposedly disturbing thriller. I've always hated this movie. I never understood the uh, sort of following it had. I remember I, liking I, it all right, but I can't honestly recall much about it. Other than other than the twist that the guy that the brother's been dead the whole time. That's the only thing I can rec- recall really. I always I always found it was trying to be like really edgy and provocative and like it was trying to disturb you, but it. I never found it to be any of that. I always found it to be really dull. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's not my thing. Uh, the Village, 2004. I really, really love the aesthetic of this and the feeling of it. And I honestly don't even mind the twist of it. I think that The Village is the one M. Night Shyamalan movie that, that given another five, ten years, is that is going to be one that's considered a good one. I think that stuff like Signs and uh, Unbreakable are kind of going to drop. And, uh, you know, when when new generations watch them, I think this one separated from the fiasco of the twist and that it would leaked early and that he got sued for it. I think separated from all that stuff and the joke of him making twists that were convoluted passes, I think it will be considered a pretty good movie. I feel I feel the same way. I think people aren't quite done gnashing their teeth at M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah, people people still like hating him too much. But once that sort of fades away, um, I think. I think the village will hold up better than signs. Yep. Um, but that's me. Uh, and uh, Dawn of the Dead, two thousand four, the remake. Never been a fan of this, but it has a great opening. Oh, it's one of the best openings of the last decade. Um, it does not sustain, but really good characters. Um, not a big fan of uh, Snyder's aesthetic, but I would easily call this the best Zack Snyder movie. Well, his aesthetic <laughs> isn't as pronounced in this one. Right. He hasn't gotten annoying yet. But it's still right. eh, it's it's still kind of ugly. I rewatched it pretty recently. It's got some good scares and really good characters. The the um, Sarah Polly character is a good character that I would actually want to see in other movies. Uh, I agree that it's ugly. Next is Marabito. What is this? This is another J horror movie with a good concept. A uh, guy, a television guy, who's I believe the director of Tetsuo. I think it's Sukamoto plays the character. Uh, Finds this this like feral weird girl in 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 catacombs in the sewer and takes her home and it, it starts to like make him crazy and there's some cool scenes where he can't see people's faces they're just television static um, but really opaque and and uh, way too long if I remember next correctly. is next is Wolf Creek uh, kind of notorious when it came out as being part of that uh, torture porn burst i think this is probably aged the worst out of all those i i i still like it though i think that the that it it does the whole nothing scary happens for an hour and then it all comes down i think it does it better than a lot of movies um i think it it of all those movies that were ripping off the 70s aesthetic i think it came awfully close to to pulling it off but i also haven't seen it in probably 10 years so fair enough um next is the is feast hate this movie yeah i'm not a fan uh love the story behind it though yeah yeah it's a project Greenlight film that project Greenlight season might be my favorite season of reality tv ever i i would love to see that Uh, i think i think it's terrible looking and i think 
all of the gore is poorly lit and it's just like it's just obnoxious the I hate script that movie. blows the script is not yeah. funny at all um next is behind the mask uh the rise of leslie gordon i think this is a really fun movie i don't think it quite works at the end uh once it sort of leaves the found footage uh angle but i really really love the main character playing leslie gordon i i love his interpretation as the like masked killer as being this like sociopathic theater geek <laughs> like when you, when you love, think about like michael myers the, the dialogue the, uh, the white white whale thing yeah yeah the yeah ahab. like the ahab like I really the ahab. only the only problem with this movie is that it's it's been it's just like been discussed to death like yes. slasher movies have been deconstructed yes. to all hell like we've already named four movies that are deconstructions of slasher movies yes so it just feels a little well worn, but it feels like this is like definitely one of the best ones of those. Yeah. Um, next, the host, two thousand six Korean monster movie, very fun movie, very yeah, good characters. Big big fan of this movie. Um, I see it. Uh, Severance, two thousand six. Hate this movie. Barely uh, remember it. I remember the there being a really upsetting scene where a guy gets his foot stuck in a bear trap that genuinely upset me to watch. Really. I, I I found it un, I found it the bad combination of unfunny, unscary, and don't care about anyone. Yeah, uh, yeah, is, probably. Yeah, that that's about right. Uh, Black Christmas remake, two thousand six. I've been a longtime champion of this film, though I I haven't seen it in like six years. So who knows if I'd still feel that way? But I think this movie is way more stylish than it had to be. I think this movie is way more good looking than it had to be. I think the I think. People hate it because it is everything that the original was not. Um, yeah. Because the original is kind of just dirty and gross and creepy. And this one looks like a, a Jean-Pierre Junet film at times where the camera's just like floating through the hallways with Christmas lights and stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's just like all the like it's like, well, who who's the killer in the original Black Christmas? You never find out who's the killer in this back in this Black Christmas. Let's give 100 <laughs> years of backstory. You know, just say, explain every little bit about him to, down to his yellow skin. But I think it's a really cool looking movie and I enjoy it. Um, next is Cold Prey, 2006. Uh, Norwegian slasher with snowboarders being killed in an abandoned hotel. Cool. Sounds great. Uh, neither of us have seen it. Uh, <laughs> number number uh, 2007, Planet Terror. Uh, the first, the front half of Grindhouse. I I think the, the biggest strength of Planet Terror is that it is the first it is the first half of the bill and that it makes death proof that much better yeah it only <laughs> works in the con- in the in the context of grindhouse i tried to watch it alone the extended cut and i did not enjoy it very much yeah it's yeah. it's it's the opposite it's 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 the spoof of the grindhouse followed by an actual approximation of the grindhouse well the, yeah, and there's a scene in death proof in which the card uh crashes through a sign pointing to a movie theater and the si- the two movies the sign is advertising are scary movie four and wolf creek and it's i think that's kind of the mission statement of grindhouse which is here's the here's the wacky over the top parody and here's what this actually is yeah um unfortunately the wacky over the top parody without that other thing balancing it out is just a bad robert rodriguez new movie Mm -hmm. um but some people like it i guess that's fine uh teeth 2007 wonderful premise hate this film um, I like the premise, and I remember liking many scenes. I plan on revisiting it uh, soon, but I, 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 I remember liking uh, several sequences, but thinking that it was uh, overdrawn yeah. and did not know how to end. Absolutely. Overdrawn is a great word for it. Um, 
2007 Diary of the Dead. I'm surprised this is on the list, if only because it has such a toxic reputation, at least among I hate people it. I know. I hate yeah. it. And I love Land of the Dead. I am on record as loving Land of the Dead. And thinking Survival of the Dead isn't bad. It has its moments. This is the only one I hate. I don't, yeah. I don't understand liking it, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Next, 2007, 1408, Stephen King adaptation uh, about a skeptic who spends a night in a haunted hotel, uh, immortalized by the classic trailer line in which uh, Samuel L. Jackson, the last line of the trailer, Samuel L. Jackson goes, I warned you not to go in 1408, which is, which yeah. is hilariously on the nose. Um, I like, I haven't seen it. No, not, neither of us have seen it. Really popular movie haven't. that neither of us have seen. Yeah, it, it was a big one. Uh, Lake Mungo, 2008. I love this movie. I It is such it is a, a mockumentary about that tells this ghost story and how it's affected this family. And I think the family is so real, and I love everything about it. And it's not necessarily the scariest movie, but it's very moody, and it's very affecting. And, and all of the things that most mockumentaries or found footage movies don't bother to do as far as like grounding themselves in reality in terms of a filmmaker is making this and they're making choices in what they show. Like Lake Mogo does amazingly. It, it feels like something that you would run into on the biography channel in the middle of the night and actually yeah. be the, the reenactments and everything. It feels authentic in that way. It, re- it really does. Like you could even believe that biography channel would show a movie like this that was purporting to have footage of ghosts and stuff. Right. Right. Because it, it's, it's just ambiguous enough. I, I adore Lake Mungo. Um, I don't know if I voted for it. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. Next, uh, 2008, let the right one in. Shockingly, this only got one vote. Uh, it got three votes last year. <laughs> and oh, we no. forgot to talk about it. <laughs> Basically, what happened was it got three votes last year, and I left it off the list. So I said, both this and Drag Me to Hell, I accidentally left off the list last year. And uh, we both mentioned before, like on that episode, that they were conspicuously absent. Uh, but it only got one vote this year. Weird. It's beloved vampire movie. It's really, really great. It's uh, it's everything you heard it was, and it's got this really uh, this this great ending. That the first time you kind of see the movie, it feels like a really happy ending. It feels really good, and then you stop and think about it, and it's really fucking sad. <laughs> yeah. Next is Left Bank. It's a Belgian film uh, about a, a an athlete who is who holds up who moves in with her boyfriend, and then discovers that her the apartment she moved into has a really dark history it's kind of a i don't want to say what kind of a movie it is because it spoils the it spoils the twist but i will say that the characters are really good and the acting is really good and once you figure out what's going on it gets a little tedious because you know what's going to happen but um i think it's good um synecdoche new york uh is next uh this is something that Charlie Kaufman pitched to studios as a horror film when they were he was uh, contracted to write a horror film. This is what he wrote. It's certainly an existential horror film. I think it doesn't go with the spirit of this list, um, but I can understand why people would include it, I guess. Uh, it's a very good movie. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it for the season. Next 2008's Eden Lake. Uh, neither, neither of us have seen it. Uh, it's a weekend getaway. Turns into a nightmare as a couple are terrorized by teens uh, with Michael Fassbender. So you that's know, always it, a plus. Yeah, it's got an it's got a great actor in it. Um, <laughs> 2009, The Loved Ones. I uh, another. It's sort of a torture movie. I don't like this movie at all. I saw this in theaters. I like it quite a bit, but I think that it is uh, there's a subplot 
put in to try to make it feature length that sticks out like a sore thumb. Yeah. Uh, about a dopey, f- like nerdy friend at, at getting the, the, the sexy girl. And it just does not need to be there. If they I mean, would... the movie, the movie already has kind of weird overtones of like, that bitch is crazy. And yeah. then once it adds in a subplot of like the dorky guy getting the hot goth girl. Yeah. It, it became like a really gross experience for me and I didn't enjoy watching it. Um, but it has a following. People like it. That's fine. Um, next is Last House on the Left, 2009, the remake. I think it's better than the original, uh, just because it doesn't have stupid shit in it. Yeah, but <laughs> um, it ruins the ending by, uh, it ruins a lot of it by having the daughter survive, I think. I think that that was a bad choice. That's funny. I, I believe the opposite. I think yeah. it is, I think it's darker if the daughter doesn't survive because they're no longer avenging her death. They're just being being dickheads <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I suppose, yeah i see that like it, it gives them less ground to stand on as far as their revenge goes okay um it's it and, is better made and than also the she though. and also it like it, they have a little flash forward afterwards <clears throat> that like shows them after the fact that implies like now she has to sort of live with that whole thing yeah. when she didn't make any of that choice like I, I think it's more interesting but uh a lot of people like the original a lot of people don't like this that's fine uh, if you don't like the original, maybe this might still be for you. Maybe, um, yeah. Uh, 2009, Thirst, uh, Park Chan-wook film, Vampires. I'm very disappointed that this movie isn't doesn't have more of a following, that somehow the Park Chan-wook uh, kind of cult dropped off after his last Vengeance movie, because I think it's a really funny, interesting vampire movie. I think it's, it's overlong. It's too long. I'll agree with that. But it has some of the best treatment of... of very typical vampire lore, I think, in any movie period. And I, I believe your your cat agrees. Yeah, she's kind of freaking out. I find a lot of Asian cinema is too long. Um, yeah, I think it's more than two hours, and there's no reason it needs to be more than two hours. Right. Next is Rubber, uh, deconstruction of sci-fi monster movies uh, in which there's a killer tire that explodes people's heads. I think this is utterly hilarious. I hate uh, is Quentin Depro or Dupree. Dupree, I forget how you, yeah, I don't remember. But at any rate, I hate all of his other movies. I find them completely unfunny and annoying. But I love, I like this movie a lot. I think it's really funny. It's the it's best an, of, yeah. It's an absurdist comedy. It's not scary, and it's not trying to be scary. And a lot of absurdist comedy, absurdist comedies bother me, and this one doesn't. Yeah, I think it is rooted in something. It's deconstructing. Yeah. So, it's like based in something. It's not just totally off the rails. Uh, next Korean film, I saw the devil really another overlong movie that is really really intense and good about uh cop who's uh uh why i can't remember she's his fiance or wife uh is murdered by a crazy serial killer uh and uh he vows vengeance against him and does this thing where he doesn't just kill him he'll hobble him stop him from killing somebody hobble him and then let him go and then stop him from killing somebody so the idea being that he is not letting him have his release and that that's the ultimate revenge. Yeah. But then at the same time, the cop is getting really dark and realizing that he's in bad place. And um, the next film, uh, also from Korea, is The Yellow Sea, a gritty Korean crime thriller about a desperate man who ends up being a contract killer. I haven't seen it. Didn't necessarily sound like a, a horror film, but it's a Korean film, so I can imagine it goes some extreme places. Uh, next, 2011, we need to talk about Kevin, a... Uh, uh, mother dealing with the fact that her son committed a school shooting. I think everything before Kevin becomes a character is really good. 
And I think the character of Kevin is such an over-the-top, like, evil guy that it just sort of sinks everything. Yeah. I like it, though. I didn't see it until recently, but I like it quite a bit. It's a real, like, cinematic, like, just the, the, the direction of it is really interesting in the editing. It's the way it tells the story is really good. Next is Kill List 2011. Um, I think this is like a lot of um, uh, Ben Wheatley's films. I think this is a interesting premise and an okay script that's totally sunk by his absolutely complete inability to shoot anything other than shaking a camera at it. And I can't tell you another one of his movies, but I, I think it is a hideously directed movie as well. He did uh, Sightseers. He did A Field in England. I did, oh, yeah, A Field in England. Okay, that one had some interesting camera work, I suppose. I, I couldn't get through Field of England. We'll be <laughs> talking about Field in England in just a bit. Uh, Contagion, 2011. Uh, basically like a really a real-life scary version of Outbreak. Yeah, <laughs> well-made. Is... Uh, reportedly takes place here in Minneapolis, totally shot in Chicago. Yeah, and um, at, at a certain point, um, Lawrence Fishburne mentions how many times the average person touches their face in a minute. And then as you as a viewer sitting in the audience are sitting there agonizing over not touching your face. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it's it's very effective. It gets under your skin. I'd love to hear a commentary track with a germaphobe. Um, <laughs> Twix, 2011. This is a wacky Francis Ford Coppola Eventually, it was like it was. It started off as a project where he was going to basically conduct a movie where he would switch between different takes and different storylines and subplots and have live orchestrated music by Dan Deacon. And then eventually, it just sort of went down into a yeah. It's weird. It's it's very strange. It doesn't really work. Um, There's some good moments in it, um, but I'm not a fan. Sinister 2012. uh, Ethan Hawke is in a haunted house. He he finds footage. And all of those sequences are really good, really scary. The like sixteen I, I, millimeter. I like the premise of this movie and don't really like the movie very much. No, I mean it's hate a, the it's, look of the monster. Hate the look of. Oh the monster. yeah, he lo- he looks like the guitarist for Slipknot. He looks abs. And this is the guy who's directing uh, the Marvel Doctor Strange, and I'm really afraid that that aesthetic is going to somehow end up in Marvel Doctor Strange. I don't know if Marvel would allow that. But, I uh, hope not, but I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's all right. Wreck 3, Genesis. Uh, I haven't seen this one. I've only seen the it's, first Wreck. I, I haven't seen the fourth one yet, but uh, it's at least the first one that's not really found footage. It starts found footage. Uh, it's just a, an over-the-top action zombie action movie that takes place at a wedding it's all right it's, fair enough it's, it's entertaining the battery uh the battery was uh very cleverly made super low budget movie that i watched for this uh podcast um that uh has really nice natural dialogue lots of very static shots um is again over long but it kind of is like the walking dead the 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 fact that nothing happens on The Walking Dead, but not annoying because uh, it feels like that's the point of the movie is that the zombie apocalypse is actually kind of boring. Interesting. <laughs> Sightseers 2012. A uh, woman goes on a holiday with her boyfriend, discovers he's a serial killer, starts serial killing with him. Uh, they have fights over the best way to serial kill. Good script. Uh, not really effective as comedy or horror. Um Terribly directed by Ben Wheatley. Uh, <laughs> Oculus, 2013. I think this is a really cool movie. I wish I had yep. more time to talk about, but I'm sure I've talked about it on the podcast before. I um, like it too. 
Uh, a Field in England, 2013. Ben Wheatley, uh, sort of psychedelic uh, black and white film. I think it's a companion piece to the uh, the Nicholas Reffin movie uh, about the Vikings. Uh, oh, Valhalla Rising? Yeah, I think it's like Valhalla Rising companion piece, but I don't like it nearly as much. Yeah. Um, no subtitles on the DVD, so couldn't watch it. Uh, uh, that makes sense. Yep. Prisoners, uh, 2013, uh, disturbing thriller with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal and Terrence Howard. And absolutely uh, hated it. I just saw it recently. Yeah. It's, it's typical liberal Hollywood, like feeding the conservative idea of uh, vengeance, but then saying, "Ha ha, naughty on you, vengeance is bad," and then stealing uh, a major plot element from uh, the uh, uh, the vanishing. Um, but from the director of uh, Enemy. Which I never um, saw. And uh, and the new Sicario, Sic- Sic- so he's an interesting director, at least. Uh, Rigor Rig- Mortis, what is this? Uh, this is a throwback that's actually not comedic throwback to uh, movies like Mr. Chinese movies like Mr. Vampire and the uh, Chinese Ghost Story, kind of comedic action horror movies. Um, with some good action scenes, an interesting uh, digital film aesthetic that's kind of almost monochromatic sepia. Um and a really cool climax where basically the evil is represented by by mud is no other way of putting it where the guy's kind of fighting and fighting in blue mud that is caking up on him. Visually interesting, a couple cool throwbacks to these movies I like. Ultimately, not a great movie though. All right, and then all the next films uh, came out very recently, so we haven't seen most of them, and I've seen a couple of them. Uh, demons Rook from 2013, neither of us have seen. Gory 80s throwback about a child abducted by demons and trained in hell and comes back and starts wrecking shit. Uh, sounds fun. Strange Color of Your Body's Tears, uh, Tears 2014. Totally crazy art film, uh, like, a, like a giallo filtered through 100 uh, kaleidoscopes. Yeah, um, Neo Giallo is what they want to call it. I still haven't seen it though. But. It's it's very it's it is <clears throat> unlike any uh, Argento or anything. It do, it doesn't like simulate it. It takes those things and then just elevates it, or I should say, just emphasizes everything a thousand percent. Coherence, two thousand fourteen, a really good sci fi movie about a, a dinner party that slowly turns crazy as they realize that their parallel dimensions are happening all around them at that, and they're interacting with each other from different dimensions really cool kind of primer-esque low-budget improvised movie definitely worth seeing really good we talked about that on the end of the year episode for 2014 Alleluia 2014 we haven't seen Belgian French extreme violent killers in love and on the run story um heard it's just kind of a provocation uh there's Fatal Frame 2014 it's a Japanese adaptation of the uh, Japanese horror game uh, where you take pictures of ghosts it takes place in an all-girls boarding school um, there's Gore Quebec from 2014, a Canadian killer at a cabin, a Canadian sort of killer at a cabin movie. It starts off as found footage and then turns into not found footage, which is strange. Uh, Cooties from 2014. This has been a festival favorite lately, I feel. Uh, it's a killer kid zombie movie with um, a mostly like alt comedy cast. Um, sounds interesting. Zombiever 2014. Uh, it's uh, another fest favorite horror comedy about killer zombie beavers. I haven't watched it because I hate that sort of pre-made <laughs> cult stuff. <laughs> I, it I'm might be too. good. It might be good, but I don't. I have no interest in it. Uh, Queen of Earth 2015. It's the um, the new. Uh, uh, God, what's his name? David Ross Perry. Philip Ross Perry. David Ross Perry. Because he'd made Listen Up, David Ross Perry movie. It's sort of like a take on Let's Scare Jessica to Death and sort of moody psychological horror films of the 70s. Uh, but I think it, the script fucking sucks. 
I'm in the minority. A lot of people really like this movie, including Jim um, and my partner, for that matter. Um, so if you are interested in that sort of thing, uh, a lot of people are saying Elizabeth Moss' performance is really good. I don't see it because, again, I think the script sucks so much that she can't be good in it. But uh, if, if, if you're interested, it's worth seeing, I guess. Uh, and then from 2015, finally, Good Night, Mommy, another sort of cult film that's been getting a lot of traction lately. Uh, you guys talked about it briefly on the last episode. Um, uh, two, two kids, uh, two kids and their mom comes home from, uh, from cosmetic surgery and they begin to think that it's not their mom and then something crazy happens. I'm really excited to see this, so I haven't spoiled yeah. myself in any plot details. Yep. Uh, uh but it's coming to Blu-ray soon, so I'm sure I'll see it soon. Awesome. And then that is the end. That's everything that got one vote. Um, this has been part one these are the little brothers and the little sisters of the movies that we will be talking about on the next part. The the films that got two votes, the films that had some kind of consensus. Um, still a bunch of crazy shit in there. Um, a lot of interesting films in here, though. Uh, a lot of them I wish we had more time to talk about. But, you know, we just talked about uh, 221 films. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, seems it seems like a good effort, you know. <clears throat> All right. Um, Gabe, I know you have to go. I have to go as well. It was wonderful talking to you. I will see you again on part two of the Big Horror Movie Show. I know you don't care if I happen to dare Cause you know that I think you're sweet If you only knew what I'm about to do Put you in a deep sleep You'll be hypnotized when you look into my eyes and I make you mine to keep it.